Well, hello and welcome to episode number 369 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's show, a passenger knocks a flight attendant's teeth out, Stansted spends £70 million on its new baggage system and get your credit cards ready because we have the ultimate aviation addition to your home. In the military, a Super Hercules crew receives the Distinguished Flying Cross and Air Medals for Daring Afghanistan Fight Under Fire. A contract fighter aircraft crashes near Las Vegas and Russia begins development of a new single-engine Sukhoi fighter. And also, Dick Kninsby of the Experimental Aircraft Association talks to us about EAA's larger missions and some of their efforts and projects they've taken on for the aviation community last year and this year. So, joining me this week in the PTUK studios, because this is the first time I've been able to say this in over a year. Uh, hello, Matt. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. I mean this. If you fart, I'm leaving. All right. I, I want to make that smoke. perfectly clear. Yeah. Yes, guys and girls, I am back in the PTUK Master Suite Studios, and it's honestly, it's very weird. It's been over a year. It has been over a year. Been in fact, over the, a year. the last, uh, the last time that we had somebody sat here in the studio, yeah. Uh, the fact, the fact, the last time you were in this very studio, uh, there was a Captain Nick sort of sandwiched was. between us, wasn't yeah. there? And yeah, then, we had Captain Nick here, and then Captain Nick arrived, and then it all. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I'm still, I'm still oh. convinced he started it. <laughs> How weird is that? This feels really strange. Lovely. Um, All right. It's not anyway, I, I, um, put, I put the Hoover around specially. I, I hope you realise. <laughs> and moving on uh, to uh, introduce the next guest, uh, or guest host or host of the show, is of course the legend that that is over in his sprawling mansion in Buckinghamshire. It is of course <laughs> Neville Bounds again for some more and a nice uh, um, text from the nhs our national health service saying would i like to come a bit earlier for my corona jab uh next week so i'm going to be doing that so that's great they said that i was in the high risk category they actually oh. mean old oh um, uh, <laughs> oh, nice oh no <laughs> so, yes that- so we're doing a bit of that on, on Bank Holiday Monday. What a great way to spend a bank holiday morning having a nice I know, I know, Nev, but bigger picture, bigger picture and all that. You know, that's what we oh, want to look at. I'm not knocking it, mate. Yeah. Absolutely. No, they they saw that banana on the drive, Nev, and thought that, that man needs a, another shot. A miracle? <laughs> a few people have said that previously. So. <laughs> Quite, absolutely. Uh, and also <laughs> joining us this week, uh, good to have him back again. And uh, he's joining us all the way from a different location this week. It is, of course, the legendary Armando. Hey guys! It, uh, as usual, it's happy for me. It's happy for me. It's happy for me to be here in person for you. <laughs> it's very good. <laughs> it's nice. So he's turned into Borat all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh no! So, um, so, so, where are you then, Armando? Uh, it's Memorial Day weekend here in the United States, wow. and it's a holiday weekend. So we are actually up in Northern Virginia visiting family and attending a wedding, which is going on right now. So I'm really appreciative that the podcast. Is- no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> oh, now the wedding's tomorrow. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're just up here visiting family, uh, watching some some folks get hitched. <laughs> Lovely. Wow. Uh, that's, that's one way of putting it. <laughs> can, I, can I just say uh, about Armando's Wi Fi? Because obviously, because hotel uh, Wi-Fi is notoriously 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want you to say anything. Uh, I can't believe you just said that four minutes into the show. Yeah, I can say it's like, please stop talking. <laughs> don't say anything. Armando, else. Armando yeah. paid the extra five bucks for yeah. the, the ten neg. Right, okay. Anyway. If, if I log off suddenly, it's to pay the five dollars for the high speed internet. <laughs> I will be right back. <laughs> Fair enough. Duly noted. <clears throat> right, so moving on then with the show. Just, oh, it's so good to be back in here again i don't know uh it's uh, weekly roundup time and uh, we've got uh, a little bit of uh, bits and pieces to uh, bring up uh, nev haven't we on there this week yes uh, i was slumming it on air cargo news uh, this week and it says that sas has appointed anko van der werf to its board of directors as well as into the role of president and chief executive, effective from mid-July 2021. Uh, van der Werf uh, currently leads the airline group at Avianca Holdings in Colombia. Uh, SAS also appointed Carl Sandland, chief commercial officer at SAS, as acting president and chief executive as of today, succeeding Richard Gustafsson, uh, Gustafsson who will leave the company to join SKF on June the 1st. Now, uh, Carl Sandland is actually a friend of a friend, would you believe? So I'm going to see if we can get an interview with the chief commercial officer of SAS, and we'll see how wow. we get on. That'd be very cool. That'd I'd love, I'd love cool. to have someone from the SAS on. They do some really good missions. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> right, okay. I had to get that one in there. Did, did, did you though? Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, uh, uh, for me this week, uh, we've got a little bit in here on uh, the Boeing program. Obviously, we talked a few weeks back about that uh, wonderful new engine that. Uh, at uh, Rolls-Royce are developing the Ultrafan and uh, talks on new Boeing jet program confirmed this week by Rolls-Royce so it's fairly well documented that Boeing is exploring the opportunity for new aircraft Rolls-Royce Chief Executive Officer Warren East said it's an annual at an, uh, annual meeting on Thursday like other engine manufacturers I'm sure he said that we are in dialogue with Boeing about that the discussion uh, discussions are different than uh, they were in early 2019 when Rolls-Royce pulled out of the running to supply Boeing, then planned mid-range model East said. So it seems like um, Boeing are going to be, um, well, using uh, the uh, this wonderful new f- uh, engine that uh, Rolls-Royce are developing, which is going to be cool because if you uh, Google that, the Ultrafan engine, if you Google the pictures of that, there is a heck of a large-sized uh, turbofan on there, I will say. But uh, good news then for uh, for Rolls-Royce and Boeing. So acknowledging everyone in the chat room as we do each week then, we're going to have a look at see who's joined us this week in the YouTube chat room. All the family members in there, as always, going to say good evening to Lee Davies. Hello to you, Lee. Uh, Sturman. Hello to you, Sturman. I've seen Sturman a few times this week, I tell you. Uh, Richard Adams. We've got uh, Neville Barnes, obviously, he's in there. He's keeping an eye on things. Captain Cruz. Hello to you as well. Mazus Karim. Hello, Mazus. Hope you're well. Hope you're enjoying this, this warm weather we're having here on the East Coast. Uh, we have got uh, Alex as well. Alex is uh, also in the chat room. Hello to you, Alex. Masha. Hello, Masha. Hope you're well. Hope you're having the sun as well over where you are. Uh, we've got Jonathan Warner. Hello to you, Mr. Warner. Hope you're well. Uh, we've got Ray Davis as well. Ray Davis is in the chat room. 
My he's, goodness. My word, it must be like sort of two in the morning where Ray is. <laughs> uh, main man, our main man, Micah. Hello, Uncle Micah. Hope you are keeping well. And uh, Alan White as well. Hello to you, Alan. Hope uh, hope you're keeping well as well. So we're going to uh, just remind everyone, if you are listening to this show as an audio podcast and you want to join in the YouTube fun and the chat room that is each week, because it is a big laugh in the chat room. Everyone keeps us very amused in the chat room. Don't forget to go over to YouTube, search Plain Talking UK, hit the subscribe button, then hit the bell icon, the all-important bell icon, which is right next to be notified when we're live and recording new episodes, because uh, we'd love to have you in the chat room. And also, uh, we're going to uh, I will start a new thing for our Patreon donators, aren't we, Armando, very soon? Yeah, this, thanks, Carlos. No, this is this is something we've been talking about for a while, and and every once in a while we have a a good production meeting where we try to come up with something special for our Patreon supporters because we wouldn't be here without them. And uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, to be fair, you say like a production meeting. Usually, what happens in these production me- meetings is we're being told off by John. Uh, that's usually what happens in these production yeah. meetings. Yeah, as we as we used to say in the military, the. The four hosts are in receive mode, yes. and then John <laughs> is in transmit mode. Uh, I, think, yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. Single, single-sided communications network. And, and, so, and so John said... <laughs> yeah, so really anytime we mention production meeting, it's just code for John told us to say... Uh, so in the production meeting... Uh, it was suggested. I, no, I wish I, I wish they could. I wish they could hear him laughing. <laughs> anyway, uh, sorry. that we do something special for our Patreon supporters. So we've tried to start something. It's just kind of private content. We're going to send out a, a link to a video, and this is going to be from all the hosts. And we try. We did a little bit of this last year, where you guys got a chance to ask us some private questions. We did right at the beginning of the pandemic. We we had some Zoom, Zoom sessions with with our chat room and our supporters uh but this is kind of building up on that and nav travels quite a bit i'm traveling quite a bit so we're kind of going to make it a a, a melange of aviation Ooh, adventures good, good and, word i like that <laughs> yeah and, <laughs> I, I, and, and i wish to use that in a sentence so <laughs> i did yeah <laughs> um but it, but it's going to be up to you guys. So the Patreon supporters, you guys can talk to us about what you want to know about us, about whether it's flying or just traveling in general, or we could just you know talk about Nev's um, yellow banana, banana, yeah, fashion, uh, fashion. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's it's worth noting for all all our Patreon subscribers. Now, every few days um, in our group chat, me, Matt, yes. Nev, Armando, and John. We get uh, video sent to us by Armando um, of him flying Ugh. various things. And honestly, we, we don't obviously get a chance to, to show all you guys the videos, but there are some Maybe cracking, because some of them he can't cracking, share. But... Some of them he can't share. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there are some really, really, awesome, really yeah. awesome videos that Armando does. Indeed. So for all our Patreon subscribers, you'll, um, you'll obviously have a, a royal yeah. treat. And those who donate by PayPal as well. Yeah, and PayPal. Um, we will yeah. we will find a way of, because I say, we don't really mind how you uh, contribute to the show. We'll we'll find a way of sharing with with everyone. So uh, yeah. So uh, well, and, and just to finish the teaser, this first one is is just a charter trip that I did into Pilatus uh, just yesterday. So we produced a video. It'll be out there. Um, we'll have some content from the DC three training. 
from the type rating out in California. So that'll be, you know, we've aired out a portion of it, but there was hours and hours of video that was taken. So we'll put out something like that. Uh, Steph and I said uh, we would get together and do something about skydiving and, and take you guys on a, on essentially a personal tour of the drop zones, her Ooh. drop zone and my drop zone. Um, uh, there's so, just so much, you know, so much that we can talk about. And uh, love it. I never get to see first class, so Nev can talk to us about first class. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, indeed. So yeah, so that's that's the plan, guys. Is uh, uh, you know, uh, as a reward for those who are very kindly sort of contributing to the show on a regular basis, uh, we do really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, this is our way of giving a little something back, basically. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. I think I'll have to sign up as a Patreon. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. So we are going to kick off this week's show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from across the world and the UK. So if all the team's ready, Matt, are you ready? I think so, yes. I'll press that button there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, kicking off this week's first news story, and I think everyone in the world knew what happened earlier on this week with a Ryanair flight and a certain country. But oh, uh, yeah. uh, this comes I to us from that. yes, I know we all have some very, very, <laughs> very strong opinions on this. Actually, this uh, comes to us from Av Herald, loads of sources, Twitter, Flying uh, Island dot com, uh, Airliner Live. Uh, dot net uh, icao.int and flugroove.de but to name a few exactly john thank you uh, a buzz boeing 737-800 subsidiary of ryanair holdings plc registration uh, sierra papa romeo sierra mike performing flight uh, fr4978 from athens greece uh, Athens in Greece to Valunas, Lithuania with 126 passengers and 6 crew was en route at flight level 390 around 49 miles south of Valunas uh, still in Belar- uh, Belarus airspace when the aircraft diverted to Minsk in Belarus located around 90 nautical miles east of their present position where the aircraft landed safely around 25 minutes later um, there were claims that the MiG-29 fighter uh, aircraft that had been dispatched to intercept and force the Boeing, uh, the Boeing to Minsk. Uh, the aircraft remained on the ground at Minsk for around seven hours, then continued uh, the flight reached Vilnius. Uh, Blimey, what's in this wine, Matt? With a delay of eight and a half hours. About 14.5%. Thank you. According to the data from Flight Radar 24 at the time, the crew turned towards Minsk as there uh, was only 72 kilometres to Vilnius. Opposed, uh, as opposed to the 183 kilometres to Minsk. On May the 24th, uh, Aviation Herald received the first concrete information that Roman Protasevich, uh, a Belarus citizen and his girlfriend, uh, were detained in Minsk and could not continue their journey. In addition, three Russian citizens do, uh, did not continue their journey to Vilnius. Uh, Roman Pasevich is a former editor and chief of one of the ter- popular Telegram news channels in Belarus, uh, Next Alive, and had fled the country by the time the authorities put him in the, on their terrorist list last November. It's believed that he faces the death penalty in Belarus. Uh, the EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said in a statement the EU Council is discussing sanctions to impose on Belarus and they were going to keep pressure on the regime until it respects the freedom of opinion in the media. And Roman Prasovich must be released immediately, they said. 
Uh, Ryanair's Michael O'Leary, obviously he's going to step up to the plate, uh, said uh, he called it a state-sponsored hijacking and praised the crew who did a phenomenal job to get that aircraft almost and, and the passengers out of Minsk after six hours. Ryanair issued updates uh, saying that Ryanair condemns the unlawful actions of Belarusian authorities who diverted the flight uh, to Minsk on the 23rd of May, which was an act of aviation piracy. The UK Transport Secretary Grant Shapps said uh, he has instructed the CAA, or the Civil Aviation Authority, to request airlines avoid Belarusian airspace in order to keep passengers safe. Following an emergency meeting of the International Civil Aviation Organization, the United Nations uh, Aviation Agency, representatives from 36 nations composing of the Council decided to launch an investigation into the alleged forced diversion of the flight uh, by the Belarus regime. So we all have some very strong opinions on this. I know I've read many on uh, Twitter and social medias. And, um, yeah, uh, Nev kick off with you first what uh, are your thoughts on this situation (laughs) well this has got to be nipped in the bud immediately hasn't it because there's the opportunity for copycat stuff here and um i i think i'm right in saying that belarus is the only european country that still has the death penalty as well so you've got all that going on plus you've got the politics of it but actually you've got airline and passenger safety which is what it's all about. And considering that is the number one priority of every single operator, uh, this must have been a pretty scary moment. And I think the, the skipper obviously did exactly the right thing because had he continued to his destination uh, without diverting, then goodness knows what the outcome could have been. But uh, I think ICAO, I think the EU and anybody else that's involved with this has got to take a massively strong stance. And I hope they do because uh, they cannot be allowed to be a, re- a repeat of this. Armando, obviously you're over in the US, but what obviously you, you all heard about this over there. What do you guys think about this? Yeah, of course, I couldn't agree more with Nev. I, I think it's something that the the rule of law has to be respected, and this is a, a slippery slope. Um, and uh, you're exactly right, Nev. I think the, the captain and the crew probably took the path of least resistance, put the airplane on the ground, followed the instructions, because there's not a lot you can do when there's a MiG-29 sitting off your wing. So, um, I mean, something like this is is almost out of the realm of comprehension here domestically, at least. So, yeah, we'll see what happens with this. I think an investigation is the least I can do. I mean, I mean, my um, I, I'm not in any way qualified to sort of talk about this, really. But uh, I mean, from from my perspective, I'm just sort of thinking. I mean, what on earth must that have been like? For the crews in the view, you know, is involved in something like this. I mean, I can't think of anything more horrific, frankly, to to be involved in. Well, the the crew actually practices intercept procedures. That intercept procedures are taught all the way from your PPL, from your private pilot's license. Uh, that's something that came about after nine eleven um, here in the states, and then I think promulgated out to Europe. But there are standardized intercept procedures. Now, this crew probably did not know that they were being forced down for this specific reason. They just were hailed and saw the fighter jet. And um, we are taught to comply. Uh, In most cases, you're going to comply. And they're probably wondering what it is that they did wrong. But surely they must have thought there must be a good reason that this aircraft and they may 
if it was me, I would have thought, well, they may know of a threat to this aircraft that we don't know about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. Um, compliance well, and if you have, probably was not a, uh, a question. No. Well, and of course, if you have got a fighter sort of sat on, on, on the side of your wing, as you say, I mean, it's... You, as you say, you're, you're just you're responding in the same way that jets here in the UK have often been guided back to Stansted, for example, if there's been any, you know, sort of something that's rang an alarm bell somewhere. I mean, it's sort of, you know, as you say, you I know suppose it's a procedure. Yeah, go on. Well, we're going to get people suing Ryanair because of their stress because of seeing a MIG out of their window. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know about that, but... Uh, yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit of a funny one. Anyway, we could talk about that one. We could talk about that for ages, but I, I guess we should leave there, it there's there. Only, there's only one person actually. Before we move, there's only one person I know who'd love to look out the window of a Ryanair plane and see a Mig sitting on the on Mr. the wing. Warner, by any Mr. Chance? Warner, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, Mr. Warner. yeah. He'd be a little bit excited. <laughs> uh, he's watching in his car whilst at work, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. He's, yeah, really, really struggling. Anyway, uh, story number two. Oh, this story um, is is an unusual one. I think it's safe to say. Wow. Uh, and the headline is: Passenger knocked out flight attendant's teeth in alleged clash over masks. So the story comes from various sources, theindependent.co.uk, kusi.com, uh, um, to name just how USA Today, all sorts of bits and pieces. Uh, the video, a video has emerged of a Southwest flight attendant having her teeth knocked out by a passenger. Um, uh, I want to say Viana, uh, 28, who was arrested, removed... From was removed from the plane and charged with felonary battery, causing serious bodily harm, according to Kusi News. The incident uh, occurred on Sunday the 23rd of May, following uh, landing in San Diego uh, from Sacramento, uh, according to a representative from the airline. He said that a passenger repeatedly ignored standard in-flight instructions and became verbally and physically abusive upon landing. Eyewitness Susan Marie uh, said that uh, the flight attendant told her to keep her her seatbelt fastened while they were still moving. Uh, What I saw was the the flight attendant in the front suddenly start screaming, no, 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 stop and uh, running towards the back. On the 24th of May, the president of the Flight Attendants uh, Union, uh, Lynn Montgomery, wrote to the company CEO in an open letter saying the flight attendant was seriously assaulted, resulting in injuries to the face and a loss of two teeth. Uh, Miss Montgomery appealed to the CEO to improve working conditions on planes in her letter. On average, uh, a year would see 100 to 150 incidents take place. The letter was part of a larger plea to upper management about the working conditions faced by aircraft staff, uh, beginning by highlighting that there had been 477 passenger misconduct incidents between the 8th of April and the 15th of May. They are asking for tighter implementation of their policies uh, and harsher punishment for badly behaved customers. Today's travelling environment requires a new level of firmness in both tone and direction to ensure proper control in the cabin of our aircraft as the attitudes and behaviours of flying public have unfortunately declined. Um, I mean, I'm a little bit sick of saying this, really. It's just why, why, why is it so difficult to sit there and pay attention and do as you're told by the people who ultimately, even with low-cost airlines, have your safety at heart? I just... I, I just... I, I still... It still beggars belief, as far as I'm concerned, that 
that people do this. I mean, me, I don't and, know. me and John had a discussion about this last night, actually, when mm. we were doing showy stuff, and we were sort of just trying to decide what the ultimate punishment would would be for someone who's done this. And I think, uh, obviously, the first one, a ban from that airline for life. Yeah. So that's the first one. Uh, a nice big cash fine. Right. That would be another good one. And then we were sort of toying on the idea whether a complete ban from flying for life would be too much or not enough or okay. I mean, I mean, my gut reaction is um, go nuts, frankly. I mean, I can't... I, it, it really annoys me. What, what do you think, Nev? What, what do you think would be the, 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 the best punishment for someone yeah, I, doing I, something I don't else? know what all the, the protocol is, but I'm sure that um, uh, airlines share information uh, between them, even competing ones about unruly passengers. Um, and just think about this, thank goodness, there was a, a fairly large chap, uh, um, regular passenger, that got involved, because I think this could have escalated even further. Mm. Had he not got in between the two of them, and I, I and I just it just goes to show how volatile these situations could be. But absolutely, I think that the um, as a minimum, um, she should be uh, heavily fined, uh, possible prison sentence, uh, and banned from the airline for life. You know, that's the starting point. And if they want to go further, or if the airport and mm. the operators want to go further, then as you say, Matt, uh, yeah, Philly boots, absolutely. Yeah, it's just disgusting, isn't it? Really, Armando. Well, there is certainly a, a no-fly list for a reason. <laughs> yeah, that was originally developed for a, a different reason. But if somebody is posing a threat to the crew, then then that's certainly a viable option. I don't know the legalese behind that. Um, I don't. You know, this is an interesting one because I don't know that additional punishments and fines, um, aside from the individual. So how so how do you publicize that? So do do when you're boarding now, do you tack on an extra statement on top of all the COVID statements that say, hey, just a reminder, it's a federal offense to assault the flight crew? Or do you tack it on to the safety brief? Hmm. You know, the uh, I just I, I, I think, in my opinion, that somebody that has this in their mind, that they that this is an acceptable action in their mind probably doesn't understand the consequences already of flying and that that any offense committed on an aircraft is a federal offense. They're probably not thinking that already, or they're unaware of that fact. So perhaps a public campaign, but, but where do you put it? Do you, know, do you put it, stick it in the fine print when you buy your ticket? Uh, I, 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 don't know. I still don't get that it needs to be you know, I, I still don't get that it needs to be mentioned at all. Do you know what I mean? It, it just should be a fait accompli, shouldn't it? And in fact, Micah is just saying uh, uh, as a suggestion, you know, maybe not just ban them from one airline, but ban them from all public transport. The individual cannot be trusted to mm. be transported with other people. And I, I can't say I, I There's don't, quite I don't a few disagree. Good yeah. comments in the chat. And Sturman says uh, 98% of humans equals self-centred idiots 2% of uh, people equals decent people right and uh, also um, airliners live says throw them out of the emergency exit mid-flight over <laughs> belarus that's right quite, yeah <laughs> okay i mean that's that's one solution yeah <laughs> uh, lee davis says uh, but any passenger who is aggressive should never be allowed to fly again which uh, is also a good 
that uh, point as well. And Jenny in Rome as well. Jenny's joined us as well. Hello yeah. to you, Jenny. Uh, she says uh, they should be banned to protect other passengers and crews. Indeed. Uh, and actually, um, uh, Alex Robinson had a good uh, comment uh, in the chat room there. If we can pop that back up again. Please, John, who's just saying, do we do we need to be telling passengers that committing battery is also illegal on an aircraft? I mean, as you say, mm. I mean, it's not legal, frankly, here on the ground. You know, that that's the thing for, for me. That's that's where I uh, that's where I sit. Mm. Uh, Tony S is saying, make an example of them. A mandatory prison sentence uh, would soon get the message out, which is possibly true. Yeah, possibly. Mm. I'm I have no doubt saying, that this individual will will be prosecuted. And and they'll they'll face they'll face the the justice system. Uh, it's just from a from a legal standpoint, um, the airline I'm sure can ban her for flying uh, their their airline. Possibly their her home airport or the airport of origination could uh, enforce some kind of ban or a trespassing thing. I just don't know that that legally that that you could just ban somebody from flying like that outside of of the the terrorist no fly list here in the US but I mean um, I mean is there is is there a sort of like a human rights issue here then perhaps is that is that what what you're getting at Well I, I no I, I'm not going into human rights I, I just mean from a legal standpoint right. I don't, I don't yeah. know that there's a way to ban her from flying outside of a, a terrorist charge or, okay. or a piracy charge or something like that I mean, is punching a, a, an air steward in the face any worse than carrying a bomb? Well, well, that's the thing. It, it depends on how they prosecute. Yeah, indeed. Anyway. I mean, it is a federal offence. So mm. I think that we could beat this story to death, but we better not do. We'll move on to the next story. But <laughs> the next one, Nev. And, oh no! Wait, uh, you are in the studio. I can now punch you when you oh, do crap jokes. Oh, thank you. you. So, <laughs> ow, oh, 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 I've I missed had that. my jab in I, that arm. I have ow. missed that. Oh. <laughs> Anyway, Nev, we're going to move to uh, BA for this next one. We've we've gone from state-sponsored piracy to uh, <laughs> full-on punch-ups on the aircraft. Right. But now we bring the pace and the tone down to a nice, warm and fluffy British Airways. Uh, and on businesstraveller.com, it says that BA has announced an increase in the minimum number of seats available for reward redemptions on all of its flights. Uh, the carrier said that it has doubled the guaranteed minimum number of reward seats in short and long-haul economy and business class cabins, as well as adding a minimum guaranteed availability in World Traveller Plus for the first time. Uh, the extra availability takes effect from uh, for flights from July the 28th, and those bookings are available from today. And it sees the minimum number of seats in Club Europe and Club World increase from two to four, and in Euro and World Traveller uh, cabins from four to eight seats. In World Traveller Plus there'll now be a minimum of two seats available for award bookings. Uh, commenting on the news, Tom Stevens, Director of Brand and Customer Experience at British Airways said, our members appreciate the benefits their executive club membership brings, but the feedback we hear is that people would like us to make it easier to book flights using Avios. We hope this means that a family holiday or that big friendship group trip away will be much easier to book using Avios. Uh, well, that's all very well. Um, it doesn't seem overly generous, I have to say. Uh, and that's probably because the airline needs every, every single yeah. pound it can get back into the system. So uh, it's probably not in the habit of giving away £200 
too many free flights but uh, it's a step in the right direction and it might just encourage people to perhaps upgrade to a, a, a more plush and more expensive cabin so may, that maybe they get some more revenue back uh, in that way but that's a uh, good, good bit of news got to say yeah. i mean is that is this one of those actually where we're in the unusual situation where perhaps we're giving the airlines a little bit more slack than we would do normally because i mean there's no two ways about it this has been a disastrous sort of 18 months for the aviation industry hasn't it yeah the, the thing is that i mean ba um typically we're in the business of issuing vouchers with quite long um uh, periods for expiry actually as well mm. so they need to get people back on the aircraft but not just in the cheap seats you know that they have been missing the business traveler and yeah. especially the long-haul business traveler and that's where the revenue really comes from frankly speaking 350 quid return to new york uh, on ba in economy doesn't make them a lot of money uh, no. at all and so they, they need to be at the higher end but I think uh, if they're a bit more generous with the Avios program like they're talking about here this is going to encourage more people to come back on but uh, it, uh, so many people are saying it's going to be 2023 or maybe 24 before we're back to the levels that we left it at at uh, 2019 yeah. which is horrific when you think about it you know yeah, that is, uh, uh, I think it was a Euro control, I think John just said in my year. They're talking about uh, uh, it not going back to normal levels until like 2025. Oh, yeah, that, is... that doesn't surprise me at all. No, mm. no, I guess it can't, it, it's, it's one of those, isn't it? It's, um, and of course, we, you know, we're still in a situation, for example, like, I think you can, for example, you can travel to the States for uh, business, can't you? But of course, do, you know, flying for holidays and things to the States is still not being permitted, I think. Am, am I correct? Well, I hope that changes before December. We've got the the next opening up um, of uh, the country at some point, and with the government's uh, green, amber, and red lists changing all the time. So there's a there's a lot still to go through, and I I think it's going to be a while before we get back. But I think the airlines are doing their very best uh, to try and Mm. accommodate all these situations. But of course, you know, they they are in uh, pretty dire straits themselves. Yeah, I think so. To waste about it. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. Armando, you've got a new airline. Well, I'd like to think that this was breaking news, that we broke this news last year. <laughs> now, we, we were one of the first news, live news outlets to report that Breeze was coming. Um, so this is from Flight Global. This has actually been big news here in the United States, and it's been covered by most of the media outlets. But the first Breeze Airways flight uh, took off from Tampa International Airport, 1044 local time, yesterday, 27th May, marking the launch of the uh, new airline in the U.S. and another chapter in the startup-studded career of founded founder David Nealman. Uh, most of its 118 seats were occupied, including one by Nealman himself. The Embraer 195 climbed over Tampa Bay, headed north uh, for Charleston and South Carolina as Breeze Flight 1. Uh, it's a monu- monumental task, according to him, uh, achieving uh, Federal Aviation Administrator's Administration certification and getting Breeze Airborne. It was a really difficult process getting this this certification. O'Neillman predicts that uh, the discount airline Breeze will generate demand by its very presence on routes that currently have very little or no commercial air service. Breeze begins operations with the Tampa-Charleston flight and an onward flight number two from Charleston to Hartford, Connecticut. In the coming months, it intends to add nine routes from Tampa, several others, including uh, Charleston, New Orleans, Norfolk, Virginia, 
Breeze is taking to the skies with uh, two E-Jets, expects to have 13 of those, including Embraer 195s and 108-seat Embraer 190s by this summer. The company expects in October to receive the first of 60 on-order Airbus A220s uh, and to take roughly one A220 delivery for the next five uh, monthly for the next five years. Um, but it has no plans to currently acquire any narrow-body aircraft larger than the A220, according to the uh, to the spokespersons. Um, so executives have declined to specify where exactly Breeze will deploy those uh, Airbus A220s, but uh, but it's been noted that the jets do have transcontinental range, and Nealman says that such routes from uh, Tampa to cities in South America make a lot of sense and are not out of the question. So um, there you go. I mean, it, it, just see, it, uh, it just seems so bizarre to me at the moment that in this current climate... <laughs> Somebody would be. I mean, I guess it's one of those where it's been uh, build it and they will come. Says the SD. That's very true. Field of dreams, isn't it? That if I yes, remember correctly, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, yes, if they build it, they will come. Uh, yeah, it's 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 one of those, isn't it? It's it just seems like the wrong time to be doing something like this. But then I guess they've been planning this launch for years, haven't they? I mean, it's they have. But there's there's some room in the market. There's a couple airlines that went oh, yeah. under. Couple regional airlines that went under here in the U.S. over the the course of the pandemic. So mm-hmm. there, there is room now. The model of serving under underserved cities is uh, is a long running one. That the yeah. SkyWest has made a huge success of doing that. They SkyWest does a combination of uh, code share uh, routes in addition to essential air service routes. Those are uh, Department of Transportation, uh, call it uh, subsidized routes, and in addition to that, they've they've created some some routes that are from underserved cities into the hubs. So um, it, it's a model that's worked before. So I, I think there's some room in the market, and like anything else, we wish them the best. Absolutely, yeah, I definitely don't disagree with you there. Uh, just uh, sorry to interrupt. Oh, I was, uh, sorry, Dirk S is saying you can read all about that first Breeze flight on Jason's Twitter account. That's Jason from Avtalk. Oh, Avtalk, yes, yeah. of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, guys from Avtalk. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, while we're, we're on air, actually, I'm going to uh, interrupt proceedings, if I may, for some breaking aviation air show news that Mr. Warner has just set... Sorry. Sent over to me. I don't like it. Can I kick him out of the studio, please? <laughs> anyway, uh, be serious for a moment, if we may. This is a yeah. tweet from uh, Flying Legends, actually. It says, Dear friends of Flying Legends, in l- the light of yesterday's message from our Prime Minister and the uncertainty surrounding the UK opening fully for business, it is with deep regret and a heavy heart that we must... Um, that we must cancel this year's event. We understand the government's careful position, but cannot safely uh, stay the course in the light of the potential loss and lack of clarity so close to showtime. We sincerely apologise for the disappointing news, but the circumstances are truly out of our control. We will be reimbursing all of you, our faithful friends of Flying Legends, who prepaid for tickets in the coming days. Uh, On a personal note, and in the name of the whole team at the 
fighter collection who have worked so hard this past year to prepare the aircraft and the show itself please know that this decision has not come lightly we are very sad but pray that next year will be covid free for all and uh, that flying legends 2022 will be an absolute classic thank you for your understanding and for your de- uh, dedication and support your sincerely nick gray director of flying legends so uh, that's literally hot off the presses while we were uh, on mm. air as it were what, what sad, sad news there is apparently one type of air show running and you can hear about that later on in the show so moving on to the next story then and it uh, looks like Stansted Airport found 70 million quid down the back of their sofa Oh, <laughs> so uh, this comes to us from the businesstraveller.com and uh, the headline Stansted Airport unveils 70 million pound baggage system so London Stansted Airport has revealed a new state of the art baggage system described as the longest system of its type in the world Uh, The revamp took four years to complete and marks the largest upgrade to the airport's baggage network since the terminal opened in 1991. The work was initially carried out in stages to minimise disruption, but the airport stated that the drop in traffic due to the COVID-19 pandemic meant that it could be completed ahead of schedule. The project involved replacing the ageing setup of conveyor belts and chutes with 2.4 kilometres of track and 180 automated uh, carts. Uh, the low-energy and fully automated Buma Autover baggage handling system has been designed by airport luggage expert Buma Group. It's uh, described as being faster and more efficient than the one it replaces, they said. Uh, according to the airport, it operates at speeds of up to 5 metres per second, meaning that it can take around 6 minutes to transport bags from check-in to be ready to be loaded onto the aircraft. The aircraft has released a video, which Matt's uh, playing for you guys watching on the YouTube stream, uh, of the system going through its operational readiness trials in February. And uh, it's safe to say it looks very nice and clean and shiny and tidy. There's no no <laughs> wonder, labels stuck everywhere. No, I wonder and, how long that'll last. Yeah, um, <laughs> absolutely. But you have to think, you know, 2.4 uh, kilometers of track. You know, yeah. what happens when someone sends their over, over, over size suitcase through? Well, I, I don't think it'll. I don't think it'll get that far, will it? I think it'll have been wheeled out. You know, wheeled, <laughs> be weeded out before it gets there. But uh, I, th- I think. I mean. Uh, we make it sound like this has all come as a massive surprise. Again, it's one of those, I suppose, where I assume this has been planned for a long time, if you see what I mean. So I dare say this is uh, this is just like the fruition of a plan that's been in place Six for a Six minutes, though. Years. That's good going. From well, yeah. the minute you, you know, pop it on the scales and... You yeah. know, through to the to the aircraft. Yeah, J- John is saying in our ears it's badly needed, badly apparently. Needed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. But 70 million of, uh, quid. Yeah. Indeed. That it's, is a heck of a lot of yeah, money. It's quite a system, isn't it, at the end of the day? However you dress it up, it's a, a mad system. Hmm. You know, it, it does look good. Yeah. It, it does look good. Indeed. And it's needed, yeah. Yeah. Okay, on to the next story. Then. Oh, my favourite airport. <laughs> oh, joy. Anyway, uh, so we'll, I'll say the words. More wine, right, I think. I'll say the words Luton Airport, and then you'll understand why he's so distressed. Uh, Airport-world.com and businesstraveller.com are our sources for this. And the headline is L- uh, Luton Airport unveils new digital services across the terminal. So London Luton, uh, that still makes me laugh. London Luton Airport (laughs) 
has launched a range of new digital services to improve the passenger experience. Uh, the new services include the production, the introduction of unlimited 10 megabits per second Wi-Fi across oh. the terminal building. Wow! Indeed, uh, the creation of a contactless F and B ordering services and the uh, opportunity to rent portable uh, mobile chargers for the duration of the trip. Uh, London Luton Airport um, uh, Marketplace has been set up to allow customers to pre-order food and collect it from the shops contact-free. Passengers can scan a QR code from the armrest of their seat in selected areas or visit marketplace.london-luton.co.uk on mobile devices. At the moment, the service... Um the service applies to Smithfield and to Pret-a-Manger shops, uh, but will extend to more venues as restaurants reopen. Uh, newly installed digital kiosks allow passengers to scan their boarding passes for personalised flight details, including boarding time, gate number and the quickest route to the gate and average walking time. If there is plenty of time before the flight, the system will also suggest places to eat or shop and provide details on the latest or offers. Uh, the airport has launched a uh, partnership with Europe's largest phone charging network charged up. The partnership uh, makes portable power banks available to rent from 11 stations throughout the terminal, a first in the UK airport. Travellers can rent a power bank, take it on board their flight and either return it to London Luton, Luton Airport upon their arrival back in the UK or automatically purchase it after 10 days. This service will alleviate the need for people to congregate around power supply points throughout the terminal to maintain social distancing. Claire Armstrong, head of passenger services at London Luton Airport said, as well as improving the passenger experience these new services are part of the airport's efforts to keep passengers safe. I must admit, is the, the power bank thing is a brilliant idea and yes. I, I saw the pictures of this on the story. I wonder how much they're charging you though to take uh, it. If you, if we, you don't. Me and John did talk about this last <laughs> night um, and one of the things I was just thinking while you were reading that story Matt is if you're you're renting this power bank do they assume that you've brought your charging cable with you that will fit your? Or does it come with charging oh, come cables? On. Surely you don't you don't travel without access I, to I, your I, power. Yeah, cable. I do, but but there might be someone who <laughs> might mean, not I, have. I, their... I mean, Nev have, has the equivalent of a saddlebag for goodness sake. You know, with all his various. Well, tech, what do you think, Nev? Bits and pieces. About all this, to, you know, all this tech. Um, I don't. I mean, two minds about it, really. I mean, on the one hand, it, it does sound like a useful thing, but most people are self-sufficient these days, aren't, aren't they? With with external power for their devices and, and, and that kind of thing. I mean, I mean, I'd be a bit apprehensive. They're so inexpensive. Okay, I mean, they might go into thermal runaway and explode, and you know, <laughs> have lots of fire. But that's right. hey, that's you know, that's life like, now. It know. seems yes. But you know, um, yeah, I'm I'm not so sure. Uh, myself, but um, what, what do I know? I don't use that that airport, so I no. won't have the experience. God, just just don't ever do it. I mean, I mean to be fair, I think the only time um, uh, that uh, Carlos uses it is usually under duress. And it's because no, the, as I said to John last night, the only reason that me and Gemma use Luton London London Luton Airport is because the flights to Malta are blooming cheap from there. Right. Okay. 
Well, you know, that's as good a reason as any. Is it a nice airport to drive to? No. Is it it's a nice definitely... airport to, to, to go through? No. Oh, I, think, I think that's a little unfair. I think it's a much nicer airport than it was. <laughs> it's, um, it's improving, it's much, but... It's a much better airport than it was, yeah. but I, I can't disagree with you about the, the journey. I don't know whether it's just because of where we are mm. in order to try and get to it, because there just isn't a nice... Because it's A505, and, you know, it's just not a nice road to get to, is it? But... Um, you know, I, I don't know. Is it? Have you ever had any reason to go there, Nev? Oh, I've, I've flown from Luton a couple of times uh, to uh, Mallorca on uh, Britannia seven three seven back in the day. Uh, I've flown to Ireland on uh, Monarch, I think. No, actually, that was a Britannia seven three seven two hundred uh, as well. But uh, no, this is uh, uh, not one of my favourites. No, but in terms, as I say, for, for us, it's an impossible airport to get to, really. But I mean, to be fair, we live in East Anglia, so I mean, anywhere is impossible to get to. But, but not, I mean, how, how is it for a, you? How is it for you travelling wise, Nev? Is it an easy airport to get to? Oh, it's from it's your, only forty five yeah. minutes, you know, right. across country to, to get there. But uh, for the last, um, well, it seems like ten years, it, that may be an exaggeration, but it seems like the last 10 years, <laughs> the whole place has been a building site. Now, I realise that most airports are a yeah. building site, and you could say the same about Heathrow, because there's always construction on the go there. Yeah, but, but not uh, to this level. It's never-ending changes <laughs> yeah. of um, traffic patterns and uh, parking and where you can and where you can't go and where the <laughs> departure lounge is now and all this business. So, you know, yes, but, sorry. Yeah. Uh, apologies, David. So if, you, if you could probably see on screen captain al's just uh, uh, a message has popped up there it says where you two live anywhere is an epic journey which is fair uh, i suppose he's right and actually Schiphol uh, in amsterdam is probably closer for you than luton isn't it <laughs> yes easier to get actually, to. yeah it's certainly easier to get to yeah, yeah. definitely absolutely I can't, actually, disagree. john has just put a little uh, note in here in the uh, in the chat here for us and uh, apparently option one you got option three options with these power banks uh, you can uh, pay two quid an hour which is capped at five pound a day. Quite how that works because two pound and two pound and two six. Anyway, uh, option two: pay per day, so three quid a day. Okay, uh, and the, you can purchase the battery. So bear in mind how much these power banks are. If you bought one online yourself, uh, you can purchase one of these for thirty quid. Yeah, but presumably they're not the the dodgy ones that you buy from Wish, Carlos. They're probably I never, quite, they're I probably never quite buy easy. from Wish. They're probably. <laughs> I have never. <laughs> yeah. I I may look at Wish, but I haven't yet purchased right. anything from okay. Wish. I mean, I I don't think thirty pounds is too bad a price actually for the power bank, and it's presumably a reasonably quiet uh, quality. It's, it's probably product, a, certi- a certified. Well, one. quite exactly. Yes. Um, anyway, we'll Nev, move on, Nev. Uh, Nev, 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 what's going on here with uh, with Emirates? Well, talking about revenue, there's not much revenue going on on this flight, that's for sure. Uh, this is from the uh, Carly Times and TravelDailyMedia.com. It says that Emirates recently operated a flight from Mumbai to, Mumbai to Dubai with just one passenger on board. Uh, EK501, which was an Emirates 777-300ER, with a capacity of 360 passengers, operated from Mumbai, uh, Mumbai to Dubai on the 19th of May with one passenger. The UAA... UAE suspended entry for passengers from India on April the 24th with only certain categories allowed to still fly into the country. These include members of diplomatic missions, golden visa holders, UAE nationals and passengers exempted and or granted permission to enter by the UAE authorities. The Times of India reported that the uh, Dubai-based Star Gems Group CEO Bhavesh Javeri, uh, a golden visa holder, was the sole passenger to 
who flew on EK501 from Mumbai to Dubai, paying £175 for the one-way economy class ticket. As the crew welcoming him onto the flight, the captain says, usually I do a big announcement, but since you're the only one here, I'm only going to give it to you. Very I'll personal. I'll give you a tour yeah. of the entire aircraft. Wow. Uh, whilst this situation is not unheard of in these COVID times, one passenger on an aircraft as large as a 777 is definitely a rare luxury. Emirates, though, have a reputation for luxury and a reputation further cemented by the announcement they, they were recently voted best airline worldwide for the eighth consecutive time by the Business Traveller Middle East Awards 2021. Uh, the uh, airline also took home accolades for airline with the best first class and airline with the best economy class. So you can't argue with that. But uh, no, let's uh, let's hope the airline didn't lose his luggage or anything. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that would uh, be strange ironic, wouldn't it? So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Captain, Sel- Captain Al says, I believe that today's A380 arrival into Manchester had approximately 30 passengers. Ooh, wow. Dear. Wow. And that is probably yeah, just as we're talking about revenue and, and try and get back to how we were. That's uh, that sort of stuff mm. is not going to help, is it? No, indeed. Now, actually, I believe we have a video uh, from from said individual traveller on the triple seven. So uh, let's give this a little listen and see what he had to say. Hi guys, welcome to Babish Special. I'm not normally the person who takes videos, but today I felt special because. I think I'm the only passenger on the Emirates flight to Dubai from Bombay. Supporting me to the flight. Hi, how are you? Good morning. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Usually I do a, a big PA announcing the flight details, but since it's the only one here on board, I'm going to give it to you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm honored to be the only one on the flight. I'm going to be great. I'm so happy next time. I might give you a tour of the entire plane. Yeah. <laughs> a 777. Wow. Yeah, yeah, just for you, huh? <laughs> last time I did a charter was a 14-seater. Yeah. We pulled out last year in lockdown. Okay. Well, this is more exciting than oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you need the captain? Can I take that? Of course. No, no worries. We have hand sanitizer there. I mean, wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of crew there for one individual, isn't there? There's no two ways about that. I, I have one question. I'm sorry to butt in. Go on, Nev. Go on, Nev. Vertical video. Oh. <laughs> of course. Outrageous. Uh, sorry. Where am I? I yes. Uh, I should have stretched it for you or something. I do apologize. Uh, yeah, it's... I, I mean, all these people... It's just, yeah, so. 
Right. I hope they well, didn't. I had a it. I had a question as I was watching that too. I think uh, did he get upgraded? Is my question. <laughs> if you've got that many seats, can you imagine being the one person at the bulkhead looking through that little see-through curtain into first class that's empty and looking behind you and it's all empty? Hmm. Either that, or he got that seat at the at the very, 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 very last row, which doesn't have full recline because it's got the. It's got... <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, I, I don't think even I would be bothered. You know, if I've got an entire aircraft all to myself, I'm really not going to care. Do you know what I'd love to, love to, or love to do if that was me oh, on that no. flight? I'd love to like. There's a lot of things you'd have done I'd, if it was just no, you. Well, on I'd the love road. to go on the flight deck. Yeah. yeah, to be fair, but I'd love to like start at the back of the aircraft and run all the way down one aisle to the front, and then go down, run all the way down the other aisle to the back. When was the last time you did any running, Carlos? Just, just for the sake of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, never mind. Well, there we go. Oh, uh, all part of the fun. It's just, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, Nev. I mean, I, I, you'd have loved to have been the only one on a flight with something like this, wouldn't you? Oh yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm not complaining about it too much, but uh, yeah, I mean, these things are going to happen, aren't they? There's going to be anomalies with these sorts of flights, um, and this is going to happen for a while, I think. Yeah. Um, and so we're going to see, you know, large, long-range aircraft with not very many people on. Basically, I mean, if you think about the BA Triple Seven operation out of Heathrow in in the last what nine to ten months, all yeah. that's been almost entirely cargo. Um, hardly any passenger flights. So, uh, yeah, you're going to get one or two of those, definitely. Mm, indeed. Armando, moving on to story eight for the next one. Yeah, this kind of, I guess we should just file it as an update to MH17. So this is from Reuters.com. Judges overseeing the murder trial of four suspects in the tw- uh, 2014 downing of Malaysia Airlines Flight uh, 17, which was downed over rebel-held eastern Ukraine, viewed the wreckage of the plane... Uh, this last Wednesday, two weeks before prosecutors are due to present their case. Uh, MH17, as a reminder, was flying from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur when it was hit with a missile fired from territory held by pro-Russian rebels during the fighting with Ukrainian government troops. International investigators came to that conclusion. All 298 people on board were killed, two-thirds of them Dutch nationals. Now, the, the Netherlands... Uh, citing the use of a Russian missile launcher bought from a Russian military base, uh, still holds Moscow responsible for the death. Uh, of course, Russia denies any involvement. Uh, so, so far, the trial hearings, which began in March 2020, have been taken up by procedural issues with no evidence heard or witnesses being called. On June 7th, prosecutors are due to make their opening statements in the case. Uh, They have brought charges against three Russians and a Ukrainian, all of them at large accused of playing a part in shooting down the aircraft. Now, the remains of the plane were recovered from the crash site and reconstructed in a hangar at an airbase in the Netherlands, uh, where they were viewed by judges, lawyers, prosecutors, relatives of the victims. The defendants, uh, the the three Russians and the one Ukrainian, uh, have not attended the hearing so far, uh, one of them has been appointed to uh, with a defense team, and the others are being tried in absentia. Um, there you go. So the uh, defendants maintain their innocence, but uh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of controversy and and everything concern surrounding this whole um, 
incident when it happens but it just shows you don't know how long these things take you know this happened what was it back in 2014 2014 yeah, yeah this happened and this is we're now in 2021 and this is still ongoing the trial is still but ongoing. but then to be fair this is also an exceptional circumstance mm. isn't it so i mean normally something wouldn't take this long but because of you know, because of what's involved here and what's at stake. I mean, it's like any major investigation. You literally can't leave any stone unturned, can you? It's interesting to know, actually, that the investigators done the same thing as they've done with the uh, TWA 800, where they built the um, the reconstruction uh, rounds, oh, wow. the okay. mesh, with this. And they actually Gosh. done, they, they built, they re- rebuilt as much of the front uh, section of, um, of that 777 wow, okay. yeah, to, uh, to work out what had gone, you know, what had happened. So, Gosh. Yeah, I think, I think many air crash investigations uh, end up doing that. Now, we just did a, an article not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, about TW-800's uh, uh, remnants being dismantled mm. after they had been used for investigator training for many, many years. Um, and that was done in consultation with the families of the victims, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, advances in technologies, and now you have three, 3D uh, modeling, and you're able to put the pieces all back together virtually almost. Yeah, I think uh, episode 357, John just said, is uh, where, we, where we highlighted that story. So moving on to the next story, and uh, this uh, this is one of those ones for for all the people like me who love to have pieces of aircraft in their homes, uh, and this comes to us from one mile at a time dot com. And so if you've got a few spare quid laying behind the sofa, just like Stan's had had that seventy million quid <laughs> behind their sofa, uh, you could uh, go to a company and buy this lovely piece of kit. So board bar is a Cologne, Germany-based company that uh, any aviation geek should appreciate. The company produces airplane trolleys that you can proudly display in your home or office. They're not cheap, but they are highly or high quality and ridiculously beautiful. I know Matt's got some pictures of these, actually. Oh, have I? Uh, While the company (laughs) creates generic uh, airplane bar carts for consumers, it also has a licensing agreement with both Lufthansa and Pan Am. Uh, well, the company is now partnering with a third airline, American Airlines. If you remember, cast your minds back to when American had their original livery. They had that wonderful polished uh, aluminium uh, bellies on their aircraft, which looked awesome. Uh, so Border Bar's newest product is a trolley with the iconic retro American Airlines logo. Uh, as it's described, the trolley is made of polished stainless steel, uh, silver anodized frames and over 500 hand-placed rivets. Uh, the basic American Airlines retro cart uh, comes in at a cool 1,694 euros, and uh, shipping to the United States uh, costs 195 euros, bringing the total cost uh, to Armando of 1,889 euros. That is 2,000. Three hundred dollars, Armando. If you've got that uh, in your wallet, no? wait. So, if I want a beverage cart from American Airlines, I got to pay in euro to a German company to ship it back to me. That's true. <laughs> that doesn't include potential further customization options options for the interior, depending on what your plans for the bar are. Ultimately, Board Bore has turned galley carts into art. These aren't used, but rather manufactured specifically for customers, and the quality reflects that. So while they're not cheap, they look like an awesome bar or living room feature for any av geek who can swing it. So 
it's in the pictures on there and I would get I'd get one myself but that would end in divorce um, so what do we think uh, Dirk actually said in the chat room there uh, uh, there there's a company in Germany selling whirlpools made out of A320, A340 no, that is, uh, that is inlets. next level cool. <laughs> that is next level cool. What's a whirlpool? That's you've got one in the back garden. Oh, swimming pool? Yeah. Oh, okay, right. Sorry, I'm with you. Okay. That's not a swimming pool, Matt. That's that's a hot tub. <laughs> okay. No, I don't know. By the hot... way, this is just for Lee Davies, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, hold, hold on, where's the music? Yeah, yeah, I, I feel like I need some kind of scary music. Yeah, absolutely. It's a well, bit... I'll, I'll take all the, the British Airways crockery that I bought. Um, and then what, what was that bag? Louis Vuitton bag that in the shape of a sea <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. thing. And yeah. I'll stick that all in the American Airlines beverage cart. Right. Okay. So, Nev, I'm, I'm guessing... Starting quite the collection there. I'm yeah. guessing you're not going to get one of these for the old Pinot. No, but I'm thinking that poss- that could make a nice uh, enclosure for a sub base unit, actually. So, uh, oh, nice! I, I think <laughs> there's some possibilities there for my uh, studio upgrade. So, Ooh, I'm, I'm thinking like that. That, that could be yeah. a possibility. Yeah. I mean, w- will Mrs. Nev speak to you again? That's the question. Well, it won't matter because I won't be able to hear her. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's relevant. <laughs> right. Okay. Fair okay. Point. Okay. <laughs> Julie, right. Julie noted. Um, <laughs> moving on to the next story. And uh, Nev, we are moving to your neck of the woods. Yes, we are. And this is a great story. I'm really pleased to be able to uh, talk about this one. It's on uh, BBC.com. And it says that an 18-year-old pilot is hoping to become the youngest person to fly solo round the world in a single-engine aircraft. Travis Ludlow from Ibstone in Buckinghamshire, which is just down the road from me, took off from uh, Wickham Air Park to start his journey. He's hoping to complete the uh, 24,900-mile journey, taking in Europe, Russia and the United States in about 45 Five days, taking in about 60 sto- uh, stops across nine countries. His father, Nick, uh, said that Travis first came up with the idea when he was 10 years old. Travis began flying aged 12 and at the time became U- the UK's youngest glider pilot at 14. The journey will take him across Europe, through Russia and America, before turning, uh, returning via Canada, Greenland and Iceland. His first stop will be in Holland, where he'll uh, officially start his record bid, but he's most looking forward to travelling across Russia. Foreign aircraft like this have only been able to enter the, enter the country since 2018, so it's new and unexplored for pilots like us, he said. There are a lot of negative connotations with the younger generation, and I feel uh, my doing this can inspire people and show all generations anyone can follow their dreams. Uh, the current record is held by Mason Andrews from uh, Louisiana in the US, who completed his flight around the world aged 18 years old and 163 days in 2018. Uh, Guinness World Record said any such record attempt can take a number of weeks to verify once completed. A spokeswoman said in order to break the record, Travis must supply an official flight log containing details of all takeoff and landing times, as well as photographic and video evidence and witness statements. She said the route must also surpass a distance of 24,900 
miles. Now, if you're a fan of the Flying Reporter channel, which I am as well, you might have seen uh, John uh, interviewing uh, Travis the other day uh, on his channel. Fascinating character. And it's amazing, isn't it, that you can do all of this. Um, in, well, I'm not sure if he's got a driving licence now, but certainly at the age of 12 or 14, he wouldn't have had. Oh, yeah, true. Uh, but uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing some great stuff about this. But uh, let's see how he gets on. But it uh, be, be a fabulous thing to do, won't it? Absolutely. It's such a cool thing as well, isn't it? It's it's something you're, ne- you're never going to forget, is it? It's, that's a real one-in-a-lifetime moment, isn't it? I just yeah. hope he doesn't fly anywhere near Belarus. Right. Uh, no, probably give that a miss. Yeah. yeah. As Richard cool. Adams says, it will look a bit small next to a MiG-29. Good point. Will, <laughs> will, will the MiG-29 be able to fly, fly that slow? That's the ultimate <laughs> question. That's a good point, actually. Matt, how, how, how very... <laughs> How very technical of you. Big 29 do uh, 85 knots. Yes. Yes. I, I suspect probably not. Uh, no. Well, I, I mean, I'm, in my defence, I'm, no, I'm only basing that purely and simply on the fact that, you know, this has got a little prop engine on the front of it. And, and you know, one of those MiG things has presumably got some kind of jet engine. Well, that is true. Armando, yeah. what do you think? Would, would, a, would a MiG be able to, um, I mean, they'd have to fly at near enough stall speed, I don't know. You would be surprised. Oh really? Ah, there oh, we go. Okay. Say no more. Okay. You heard it first. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Well, you, you got to admit, it goes through eighty-five knots twice: once when it's taking off, and once when it's slowing down. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So it can fly at yes. eighty-five knots. It but, is the answer to your question. I, I mean, sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I think they can actually fly pretty slow. They. Uh, I forget. Uh, nope, that was MiG twenty ones. There was. This is way back in the day. There was a uh, organization called Brothers to the Rescue, and they were actually intercepted and shot down uh, approaching Cuba, Havana. Uh, now, I think that was either a MiG-21 or a MiG-23 that took them out, but they were able to get a shot on it and, and slow down. So, Gosh. Yeah. 100, 107 knots, we're being told in our ear, is the, uh, is the lowest speed that they can do. In, well, that, in that is the cruise speed of a Cessna 172. So right. Oh well, there we go. There we with go. a tailwind, with, with a t- one passenger on board. Okay, good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's minimal. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yes, it's verging on stall, no doubt. Yeah. But, uh, there we go. Okay. Uh, right. What's next? So that is where we bring the commercial news to an end. I think, I think you'll agree that was quite a good commercial news segment this week, guys. Well done. Uh, we're going to move on, uh, and uh, we are going to come to you with the military news just after this. Are we? Oh, okay. Right. Sorry. Yes. Uh, no, that was the wrong button. Seamless. That, that went. Seamless. No, no, no. no. Uh, okay. Okay, it's supposed to be a plain truth. That's what I, that's what I thought. But uh, um, we'll do it in reverse, shall we? Let's have an ad, and then and then we'll have a yeah, plain truth. Yeah, we'll and, do that. And the plain truth, which one is it, John? Sorry, just remind me. It's medical emergencies is the plain truth. So we'll we'll have an ad, and then it'll be medical emergencies with me and Captain Al. Well, uh, welcome to our London studios. Uh, welcome to the A three twenty lounge uh, webinar. Uh, tech presentation, um, obviously for the 320 series. Welcome to the Year 320 and 737 Lounge, bringing technical refresher courses directly to you. Using our cutting-edge broadcasting facilities, enjoy a fully interactive technical refresher course from the comfort of your own home. All of our webinars are live and you can ask your instructor a question at any point during the day. All of our instructors are highly experienced and can help you. No more expensive nights away from home, no new software required, just an internet connection. 
Courses are run at regular intervals, so check out A320Lounge and 737lounge.com for more details. Hello and welcome to Another Plain Truth, and joining me as always is your friend, my friend, he's everyone's friend, it is Captain Al. Hi Captain Al. A uh, very good evening, Matt. I hope you're well. Yes, I'm very well indeed. I'm very well. Okay, right. We're going to get stuck in, if we may, uh, with a I don't know a slightly uh, nerve-wracking subject, I suppose, uh, and that is the one of medical emergencies on board. I mean, there are uh, we. I mean, I've only seen them in films. I have to be honest. Where they sort of you know you've heard the message: Is there a doctor on board? Um, but if if uh, somebody is taken ill in the air, what is the procedure? What what usually happens? Okay, it's a really good question. So let's start off with the fact that uh, the cabin crew are trained in first aid. Now, uh, that is, you know, basically you just, you're just you been able to uh, administer that simple level of first aid. Within the cabin crew cadre, there are quite often uh, people who've trained as nurses, uh, very occasionally doctors. Uh, we're very lucky to have those amongst us, uh, but they, they tend to be um, largely in the minority. So typically the first thing that will be asked, as you've already said, is that we'll, we'll reach out to the passengers on board to see if there is a doctor or, uh, and you quite often it will be specified. So it would be a medical doctor rather than say a doctor of law. Um, they're not a lot of use in, in these circumstances <laughs> quite, yes. um, uh, or, or a nurse. And quite often someone will come forward in the meantime, uh, what will be happening is the cabin crew will be taking information about what's happened, trying to assess the situation. And then it largely comes down to the, the nature of the flight that you're on and indeed the airline that you're operating with. So if it's a short haul flight, uh, the likelihood is that the information will be fed to the captain and he in collaboration with the senior cabin crew member will decide what they're going to do. So it could be something really quite straightforward, like a passenger's fainted, um, you know, they've been put into the faint recovery position, come around, uh, you know, had a, a glass of water, and, uh, you know, there's no more to it than that. Obviously, sometimes it's a bit more involved. So if we go up at the other end of the, the spectrum, so you're having a, a passenger who's actually having a heart attack, um, then quite clearly the best place for them is in a hospital and not in an aeroplane. Now, a lot of airlines will have a defibrillator on board for heart cases. Uh, it's not a legal requirement uh, here in Europe, so not every airline carries one, uh, but quite clearly it's a useful tool. If you have someone who has a life-threatening medical uh, condition at that time, then the most likely outcome is that as the captain, you're going to divert. And what you'll try to do is choose the most appropriate place to divert to. So it's not a case of, you know, finding the first big airport and landing there. That that's not, doesn't always work. You know, you could land at a military airport and by the time all the protocols are dealt with and whatever, you know, unfortunately it'll probably be too late for the passenger. So what we try to do is to choose somewhere, uh, you know, a, a big international airport, you know, somewhere like London Gatwick or Paris or Brussels or, anywhere really, um, uh, uh, that's a, of a suitable size, used to dealing with uh, passengers, may well have paramedics already stationed at the airport and uh, they, they will come and assist. Now, 
That's fine and good if you're on a short-haul flight. But what happens if you're midway across the Atlantic? There aren't too many hospitals out there. So, uh, again, you know, the cabin crew who are on long-haul flights, they don't receive any additional training. But quite often, you will find that the aircraft is a little bit better equipped. So, you might find that there is just a bit more than your sort of traditional first aid kit. There may be equipment on board that would be useful to a doctor. Um, so there'd be uh, additional uh, pieces of equipment and also additional drugs, uh, the sort of thing that only really a doctor could administer. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, one of those drugs is adrenaline. Uh, so I'm sure you can probably appreciate um, adrenaline in the wrong hands could be extremely dangerous. Well, it's, quite, it's, yeah. You know, it's uh, it, it's not a it's not a party game kind of thing. No. So um, so quite often it's called the doctor's box, and it would be uh, opened uh, on the basis of a doctor needing it. Uh, now, in addition to that, uh, you will also find that a lot of airlines have access to basically what you might find in the uh, accident and emergency uh, department of your local hospital, a triage facility. So uh, we can access that in a, in a few ways uh, by using radio, uh, which can be a bit tiresome. Um, on a lot of aircraft these days, we have a satellite telephone. That's great because it's just like phoning up someone. Um, and then on some aircraft that have the ability to get reasonable bandwidth on in-flight internet, uh, you would also have the position to be able to uh, basically have a video link with the, the triaging department uh, on the ground. So you can establish a video link uh, and, you know, basically do some remote diagnosis with the, the doctors on the ground. So the way that normally goes is exactly like your A&E. You, you present the initial uh, findings of what you've got, and the, the triage staff there will, will feed you through. So if you've got someone with a, a suspected cardiac problem, uh, very shortly they will um, put you through to uh, someone in, uh, in the cardiac department within that hospital, and uh, they will, um, you know, take it from there. And uh, we're also in the position where we can, via the internet, uh, send down, say, for example, uh, the data from the defibrillator, which we could be using as an ECG. So the, the cardiologist would look at the, the ECG data from this patient who's, you know, in the middle of the Atlantic. Wow. So, um, so th there's, there's an awful lot to do. I mean, I, I have to say that the majority of occasions where we have medical issues on board aircraft, they are um, fairly minor. It's usually someone uh, feeling a little bit poorly. Um, invariably, that's because they, they haven't eaten before the flight and their blood sugar levels have dropped a little bit, a bit of stress and anxiety. Um, or, you know, someone who's just fainted, uh, serious medical condition, medical conditions uh, brought on in flight are, are rare and unfortunately uh, um, uh, don't seem to be getting any worse as time pro progresses. So um, it, it's a good thing. I mean, a lot of airlines will medically screen people uh, before they travel. So for example, um, if you've been poorly or you've been in hospital, the airline will require a doctor to actually say, yes, this, this person is fit to fly um, before the, the airline will accept them. So, yeah, um, 
lots of uh, resources available, um, even in the middle of the Atlantic or in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's 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 a lot more involved than I, I guess I was sort of expecting. Almost actually, as you say, sort of dialing in and getting triage advice and things like that. But I, mm-hmm. I suppose in an ideal world, you, you'd like a doctor on board every single flight. I imagine. <laughs> yeah, the the interesting th- thing there though is that um, quite often um, you'll have a doctor on board. But say, for example, um, if you've got, let's just say. Uh, Say someone who's a pediatrician. Mm. Um, well, obviously they 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 trained as a, a doctor many many years ago, but they're not used to dealing with say cardiac issues. Yeah. So they're quite often they'll come forward, but that you know that it's not their field of expertise. That the best doctors that you can have on board an aircraft are those who routinely work in A and E. Uh, because yes, they're used to seeing everything <laughs> every um, day yeah <laughs> yeah um but uh, no it's all, it's always great to have uh, the help of medical personnel and indeed airlines quite often are very grateful to medical personnel coming forward so um you know we might give them some extra frequent flyer points mm. or a, you know a bottle of champagne or whatever it depends on what the airlines policy is but yeah i mean it's it's nice to have some volunteers or you know uh, to come forward and indeed my my sister-in-law um, is a nurse in A&E and she's had to volunteer, well, I say had to, she has chosen to volunteer on a couple of occasions to, you know, uh, to answer that call of, you know, is there a doctor or nurse on board? I mean, that must be quite a nervous experience for them as well, because, of course, you, you, you're fully aware that, you know, you haven't got the range of equipment, perhaps, that you, you're used to in your A&E department. You know, we're talking, you know, very basic kit that's on board. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, conversely, quite often we've had cases where, you know, doctors have said, oh, I don't suppose you've got, and go, oh, yeah, yeah, we've got that. And they go, oh, right, brilliant, excellent. So, yeah, it works two ways. But yeah. um, uh, the, 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 the key thing is getting a, an early diagnosis. And um, one area that was uh, pointed out to us when we first started using one of the services at Monarch Airlines many years ago um, and this helps uh, doctors and nurses quite a lot, actually, is that when we were at Monarch, our medical service provider, it was a company in Arizona in the United States, it didn't really matter, they would take legal responsibility for the decisions that they made. Oh, wow. So, so quite often we'd have a situation where, you know, the doctor on board would say, oh, I'm not really sure. And then we'd get, you know, a message through saying, well, our doctor says, you know, you can administer this and they'll take legal responsibility. And the doctor goes, yeah, yeah, that's fine by me. Give me the syringe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Happy to get stuck in. Now, yeah. now the other slightly, uh, the, the only other, you mentioned heart attacks there, obviously. The only other sort of obvious medical emergency that springs to mind for me is actually if somebody's pregnant, for example, and they're flying. And I know uh, advice is often given that you're not supposed to be flying, obviously, if you are very close to term shall we yes. say, but obviously it does happen. Now, uh, th- th- this is a question that's come up a few times when we've been reading various stories where a baby's been on board. Um, and it, it's if, if a baby is born uh, like in the air, uh, first of all, are the cabin crew trained for this, is the first element to that. And the other question I was going to ask is, uh, what country of citizenship will the baby receive? Okay, so um, I'm going to ask you a loaded question okay. here. Okay, oh, good. <laughs> 
Have you ever been at the birth of a baby? Uh, I haven't personally. No, I can't. Have, have you ever seen it on TV? Uh, yes, I. I, I just, uh, okay. Yeah. I can't. So all, all I can say is, it doesn't matter how much training that you may or may not have. <laughs> True. Um, yeah. Nothing is really going to prepare you for that. So, uh, do the cabin crew get any training? Well, yes. I mean, they they have a little bit of instruction on it, but uh, no, they don't get taken around to the you know local labour ward and right. get exposed to. Uh, to uh you know a delivery no um no they, i mean it, it's it's not particularly easy to do hands-on training for that you know for things like doing resuscitation yes you know there's you know yeah. resuscitation dummy and so forth but no for for dealing with childbirth um no they, they you know they, there's very basic information given to the cabin crew at the end of the day it's first aid training but um yeah. um Fortunately, it doesn't happen very often on aircraft, uh, primarily because, as you've already said, we try to uh, screen passengers such that if they're close to term, um, we'll either say no, and each airline has their own policy on this, no, you're too close to to being full-term to fly, or as you get a little bit closer to that cutoff, we'll require a a doctor's letter to basically say that the the lady is fit to fly. Fit to fly, But if it does happen on board, um, well, again, I mean, uh, it's just a case of, um, you know, making do with with what you have. Um, it's a, you know, a little bit of a, an exercise in, well, what have we got, what we haven't got, and um, uh, trying to, to, you know, get the aeroplane uh, to a suitable airport as soon as possible, um, such that uh, mother and baby or babies can have the, the best medical care. With regards to your question of uh, what Citiz- happens to the baby's citizenship, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a good question. So the, the rules are that from the time that the aircraft door is closed until it is opened again, uh, the laws of the country of registration apply. So say, for example, if you're on a UK-registered aircraft flying over China and you give birth. Now, I know you may be, you know, uh, ever so slightly in the rotund department, but we're not expecting you personally <laughs> to give birth. But if you will... No, quite. <laughs> if you, you'll just bear with me. If, yes, if someone yes. is to give birth on a UK-registered aircraft over China, and let's just say that they were uh, Russian nationals, yeah. then that baby takes on board the citizenship of the state of registration of the aircraft, so they would be British. Right, okay. So even though they were born overhead China by a Russian mother, um, if they're on board a British aircraft, then they um, they are born British. And uh, so, so, equally, then, if you're born on an American aircraft, you're American. So. And, and, and the same way sort of applies. So if, for example, you were doing a Stansted, uh, you're on a Ryanair aircraft, you were going to go from Stansted to Malaga, let's say, and it was an Irish registered aircraft, then essentially the citizenship would be, be one of Ireland. Correct. Wow. And it's as simple as that. My goodness me. Well, as always, Captain Al, eloquently explained as always. Thanks very much. You're most welcome. That was exciting. It, it was absolutely. Uh, it's uh, I say we combined two very complicated subjects there, but uh, that's the great thing with Captain Al. Two complicated subjects can be made to sound very, very straightforward and simple. 
Yes, yes, there is. Yeah. A, there is. I'm, I will say again. I always say every week. There is a lot of love for that segment. A lot Indeed. of love for that segment. And uh, contrary to uh, 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 Captain Al's statement during that particular plane truce and uh, uh, the uh, shall we say uh, lockdown. Um, uh, spare tyre I am not actually nine months pregnant despite what Al was suggesting <laughs> in that particular plain truth so uh, yes indeed good <laughs> <laughs> <Go> blimey <laughs> so you can tell we're back in the studio together can't you honestly yeah. right um, yeah, I, need, I need counselling already boys and girls well we've already done a bottle of red wine between us so we've done alright <laughs> um, we're going to hand things over to Armando for the next part of the show yeah, guys. Uh, now, this this week, we did actually make a pretty good dent in our timeline. So we are going to have to reduce the military just a little bit because I want to be able to get to the EAA interview. So we're going to bring it down to two stories. The third story, you'll have the link in the show notes. But Matt, if you're ready, let's hit the button. I'll just stay on a Zoom All right, this first story is from Military.com. A, the crew of a C-130J Super Hercules has received a few prestigious awards, including a distinguished flying cross for their daring airmanship during a harrowing mission in Afghanistan last year. Major Christopher Richardson, the pilot of the C-130, received the uh, Distinguished Flying Cross, or the DFC, for his actions during a flight on September 19, 2020. That's according to the Air Force from a release on Wednesday. The three other members of the crew, pilot uh, First Lieutenant Christian Grokowski, Loadmaster Staff Sergeant Jade Morin, and Loadmaster Senior Airman Demetrius Carden, received air medals during a ceremony on May 10th. The Distinguished Flying Cross is the Air Force's is one of the Air Force's highest uh, decorations, recognizing valor in combat. It's awarded to service members who distinguish themselves in combat through heroism or extraordinary achievement during a flight. The Air Medal is also presented to service members or civilians for their heroism or meritorious achievement in flight. So this C-130 crew, part of the 61st Airlift Squadron, uh, they were supporting a theater response force as it arrived at a forward operating base. Uh, but during the flight, the crew took effective small arms fire from the enemy. One of those uh, uh, bullets injured a member of the crew. Uh, Carden, uh, the, the loadmaster, quickly assessed what had happened, acted, acted decisively to organize and apply treatment to the wounded crew member with a the combat control team that was on board. So combat control, their tactical uh, air traffic controllers, essentially. Um, Carden praised the training that he had received for, uh, for helping helping him know how to respond in that situation. Uh, he said that everything happened very quickly. The adrenaline made the decision-making difficult, but the previous training uh, was there for him to lean on. And uh, so Richardson, the, the pilot, quickly assessed the situation. He made a second approach into the base, but during that second attempt, he and the other pilot, Grokowski, discovered a big problem. The enemy fire had actually damaged their flight controls and caused a malfunction. So the pilots changed their plans. They decided to return to Bagram Airfield in Afghanistan and get the crew and the plane safely out of harm's way. When they landed at Bagram, 
the remaining crew switched to another Super Hercules, which had been reloaded with the necessary cargo and prepped with additional crew members. Uh, Carden's leaders told him that he would sit out the next flight, but he chose to see the mission through to its completion. Uh, he said, I just imagined if those kinds of dangers awaited me the first time, I couldn't stand by while someone took my place and flew into that same kind of danger. Now, Richardson said that uh, receiving the Distinguished Flying Cross was extremely humbling and praised the way the entire squadron pulled together and worked together as a team as they found out that their flight was in trouble. Um, He said, I told them that we were on our way back with a problem. The whole squadron jumped into action. After we landed, the other plane was loaded, prepped, readied. Extra crew members were briefed up and ready to go. So anytime a, a crew member or a crew receives the Distinguished Flying Cross, uh, You just have to Google it and look back in history at some of the notable names in aviation that have received that that award um, and the additional crew members getting the air medal. That's uh, just amazing stuff. Just uh, talk to the bravery of these these uh, young airmen in combat. Yeah. Incredible stuff. Yeah. Very much agreed there, Armando. Very much agreed. indeed. Yeah. And Carlos, if you want to take this next story, this is a sad one, actually. Yeah, it's something that we've been talking about on the show. Yeah, this one is from RGI.com, and uh, sad, as Armando said, pilot dead after military aircraft crashes in Las Vegas residential area. So a pilot died uh, after taking off from Nellis Air Force Base on Monday and crashing outside the southern edge of the base in a nearby Las Vegas residential uh, area, authorities said. The pilot has not been identified, according to authorities, and neither personnel were on board. The aircraft was owned and operated and uh, piloted by Draken US. I think that's how you pronounce that, isn't it, Armando Draken? Uh, a Florida company contracted to provide uh, adversary air support to Nellis Air Force Base. Uh, Draken has uh, received uh, news of a downed aircraft out of Nellis Air Force Base and the tragic loss of one of our pilots, they said. Uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to the people and families affected by the event. The statement added that we are doing everything in our power to assist them in, uh, in this time of need and we are working closely with federal, state and our local authorities. Draken in the US is also cooperating with an investigating agencies to determine what led to the tragic accident. Authorities reported that the military aircraft incident that images showed included a fire on Monday in a residential area not far from Nellis Air Force Base. A base spokeswoman said she had no immediate information about the air type of aircraft, uh, whether there was a crash, the condition of a pilot, or whether there were injuries to people on the ground. Deputy Clark County Fire Chief Warren Whitney said fire crews were called to the area of the Christie Lane south of the uh, base and did not provide details or answer any follow-up or telephone calls. Police closed off the area around seven miles northeast of downtown uh, Las Vegas while some news crews reported that an aircraft had crashed. Neighbours posted online images of a plume of smoke not far from a fence uh, to the base and fire crews arriving and a helicopter as well circling the area. In a follow-up article, they discovered that the aircraft was one of the Mirage F-1s that we talked about a couple of episodes ago when we did a contractor adversary air story. So the Mirage F-1, Armando, not a new aircraft, I don't think. This one is No, and I think when we read that story out a couple months ago now, those Mirages were acquired from a... uh, 
from an Air Force that was actually retiring them. So they were shipped over in containers to the U.S., put back together, and then put into use here as a contract red air. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, our, our thoughts are with the families of the pilot as well as the company. And, the uh, you know, those pilots tend to be pretty tight-knit. Yeah, the Dassault Mirage F1, a French fighter, that one is, Armando, and that was first flown in December 1966. Yeah, I was going to guess early 70s, but yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, it's just part of the business, isn't it, unfortunately? Um, and uh, yes, uh, Miles High asks, does it have an ejection sheet? I believe they uh, were uh, kitted out with ejection seats and they were activated. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll find out from the investigation. Um, now, what's mm. interesting about this one is, is it, I'm not entirely sure who's going to conduct the investigation. Is it going to be the U.S. Air Force? It wasn't it was not one of their assets. Um, so is it going to be the NTSB? I guess uh, we'll, we'll find out. But um, we'll follow up on that. Um, mm. Go ahead, Carlos. Yes, yeah, stay with you, Armando, because uh, you have got the next segment as well to introduce. Yeah, so if you tuned in last week, you heard us talk to Dick Nipinski from the Experimental Aircraft Association. That part of the interview was focused on EAA Air Venture 2021. Now, I've been a longtime member of the EAA, and uh, I wanted to talk to him about some of their larger efforts and what they do for their members, um, and he didn't disappoint. So, uh, Matt, let's go ahead and play that out. Young Eagles. And I kind of want to move on from Air Venture and talk about EAA as a whole. So 2020 was was a, a challenging year for everyone. Can you tell us about some of those other programs, how they've evolved over the past year? Uh, Young Eagles, probably one of the bigger programs. Um, what what are what are some changes that you've seen there, and, and what what can we expect for that for 2021? Young Eagles is a great place to start, Armando, because you have uh, a program there that has been so important over the past 25 plus years to getting young people interested in aviation with the 2.2 million kids who've been flown and you know pilots such as yourself and, and myself from a, throughout the country and around the world who have flown Young Eagles as EA member pilots. Uh, but looking at that, last year we flew fewer than 10,000 Young Eagles for obvious reasons. The pandemic simply did not allow it. Uh, so we're bringing that program back and getting people engaged. International Young Eagles Day comes up June 12th. If you're an EA member and a pilot, we urge you to get out, fly some kids, get back engaged, get those kids excited about aviation once again. Uh, I was at a Young Eagles rally two weeks ago, and they flew 40 kids uh, in a city about 70 miles from here. And to see those kids excited about getting in an airplane again, to see the pilots excited about flying kids again. Uh, that was so special to get that. So young Eagles were getting reengaged. The chapters are starting to set up those rallies throughout the country and, and getting that started to get the kids involved once again. Um, different states, different cities have protocols. Sometimes they're, they're masked up. Sometimes they are, they are not depending on what the locality uh, demands or what the requirements might be. But the most important thing is getting up, flying those kids again, getting them engaged with aviation. Uh, to that end, something we announced a little bit earlier this year, and we're going to have the full unveiling coming up at Air Venture, is a program called Aero Educate. It really is a next step for, we have the Young Eagles flight, but what do we do 
to get kids onto a pathway, whether they're looking at pilots uh, as a career, whether it's a technician, whether it's a designer, whether it's an engineer, whatever that happens to be. And Aero Educate will be something that can be used by young people online. It can be used by their parents. It can be used by teachers in curriculum and classrooms to bring aviation ideals to science and engineering and math and bring it into the classroom as part of the curriculum. And it's not just us working with it. Already we've got the United Airlines Aviate program that's signed on uh, and that offers a great way for people, uh, young people ages 17 and up who want to become career pilots and so forth on the commercial side to be there. Uh, United gives them a pathway. Uh, we've been talking to people such as Airbus and Siemens and some of the big international companies to get involved with that as well. So you're going to see um, that unveiling coming up at AirVenture. Uh, the website will be up. All of those things will be up. And it's something that's uh, really developed very well over the past year. You talked about what did we do over the past year? This was one area that we could start to put that together and really hone in and develop the program properly and not feel rushed about it. Uh, and so that will be coming up at AirVenture. So those are the kind of things. And then, of course, all the stuff that happens in EA chapters uh, throughout. Uh, chapters have been meeting virtually for the past year, and they're starting to get back together in person. Uh, doing those aircraft projects, um, meeting in person, uh, sharing ideas, having the pancake breakfasts and everything else. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit of a new reality, but at least they're getting together. And one thing that EAA has always been as a hallmark is the ability for us to get together. We all love flying. We all love this thing called aviation. And we put this together and we can meet with each other, whether in a local chapter or here at Oshkosh, or virtually, uh, to share that sense of community, share ideas, share knowledge. And uh, we're looking forward to really getting back into that again. Yeah. And, and one of the things that you brought up that I, that I, that I love is aviation isn't just about pilots. So you mentioned technicians and young folks wanting to be a technician. There's, there's absolutely going to be a, an AMT shortage just as much as there is. And EAA is the best place to do that because for, for the longest time since its inception, uh, it, EAA is where pilots and builders and mechanics come together. Um, and I, I was, you know, researching some of the programs that some of our listeners may not know about EAA. And you guys have a technical counselor program, flight advisor programs, uh, mentor programs to help builders uh, get their aircraft in the air. Um, are are you seeing all those things come back to life, especially in the in the chapters? Uh, we are. And one thing that we've started to see, for instance, our sport air workshops that we traditionally have taken through the country where people can get those skills. Uh, they want to know more about um, working with sheet metal or aircraft electronics or how do I put this avionics thing in and make sure when the first time I hit it, it doesn't spark and smoke and all those other things that you don't want it to do. Uh, those type of classes, uh, we're starting to bring them back in Oshkosh. We're going to bring them back nationwide as we head through 2021. And having those back again to first of all teach those skills and then you mentioned the technical counselors and flight advisors for those people who are building an aircraft to have experienced builders come and say okay these are the things with this model aircraft you have to be careful of make sure you do it this way or try it this way because we don't want you to make a mistake uh, we all want to have a safe fun airplane at the end of the day with this type of thing and flight advisors to make sure your piloting skills are up to the same snuff. You've got a great airplane that you built. 
but you may have taken all the time to build the airplane instead of going out and flying and <laughs> keeping yourself current. Okay, let's make sure your flying skills are there. For instance, if you've flown a Cessna 172 for all these years and you now built an RV6A or an RV6, well, now you might have a tail dragger aircraft instead of a nose wheel aircraft. You might have something that does 165 knots instead of 120 knots. Things happen faster. Are your flying skills ready for that? Uh, Cessna 172 or a Piper Cherokee, they're great aircraft. They're wonderful aircraft. Most of us trained in aircraft like that. But as you move up through the different aircraft, are you ready? Something as simple as a yoke or a stick. Okay, can you make that adjustment to get used to that? What is that like? So those are the kind of things that those programs are so essential for pilots, for builders, for restorers, whatever you happen to be involved in. Uh, one thing that we're looking forward to is a brand new edition. We just broke ground the end of April uh, for what we call Project 21, an addition to the museum. First time in 20 years, we're adding to the museum facility. Uh, the ground floor is going to be the Pilot Proficiency Center. We're going to have eight to 10 Redbird simulators in there. Pilot groups come in, type clubs come in, uh, individual pilots come in to get that kind of training. Uh, the upper floor will be a, a youth education center. A lot of hands-on stuff, a lot of the things we see at KidVenture, but you can bring classrooms in, you can bring youth groups in, uh, do that kind of thing and have that training. We can have virtual experiences and so forth for kids. So um, just broke ground on that. That'll be open uh, for AirVenture 2022. and will be a year-round facility that will well, Oshkosh is kind of known as home for all of us who'd like to fly for fun. Well, this is a year-round extension with the museum of making it even more our home, where you can learn about aviation at the same time, enjoying the history of aviation. <laughs> that that is great to hear. One of the one of the highlights of of my aviation career was actually in October of last year. I was working up in Oshkosh, and I walked into that into the museum, which is a, a, anytime I they give me two hours of a break. I walk over to the museum or drive over to the museum because I could spend days and day. Well, I have spent days in there, but I walked in there and I was the only person in there. And it was, it was eerie at the same time as one of the coolest things I've ever done is just to have the entire <laughs> museum to myself. <laughs> um, but that's great to hear that, that you guys are, are doing that. And, and as a Lancer owner, I understand the value of that transition training into some of these higher performance aircraft, like the RVs, the glass airs, Lance airs. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a, it's a, it's great to hear that you guys are doing this to, at, at the end of the day, it's just for safety in the community because nobody benefits when anybody has a mishap or an insight right. in a, in an experimental aircraft. Um, exactly right. So, yeah. And that's been one of those things, excuse me, but, uh, you know, those numbers have been going down and that's a credit to everybody in the community, to the pilots, to the builders, to uh, the people who really have been using the safety programs. And we want to build on that. You know, zero is the perfect number we want to get to, but that number is getting closer and closer to that every year. Uh, you consider that the home build aircraft accident stats have dropped by 40% over the past 15 to 20 years. And then, again, that's a credit to everybody involved in it because it takes everybody to make sure that safety is done right. And that, and you mentioned the FAA being involved in both AirVenture and then your, your EAA's relationship with the FAA. Um, but that's just one of the government agencies that EAA interacts with. Now, you guys, uh, a lot of the rule proposals and, and regulations that are that are out there or proposed, 
EAA, along with AOPA and some of the other large organizations, are always at the forefront of that. What, what are some of the, the advocacy efforts that you guys are taking on for the pilot and aviation community? Well, one of the big ones right now, Armando, is something called Mosaic. It's uh, with the FAA right now. It's a rulemaking passage, package that could drastically change w- how certification of aircraft and pilots takes place. Because one thing that people have said since the emergence of sport pilot and light sport aircraft 15 years ago is how can we expand those privileges that allow me perhaps without a medical certificate or a, an easier path to a medical certificate, especially if somebody needs a special issuance out there to get their medical certificate, how do we get them in the airplane? They're good pilots. They're experienced pilots. They may have had a medical situation years before, but now they're stuck in the special issuance thing where they have to go again and again and again and spend a lot of money and go through the tests for something that has been taken care of for a decade or more. Uh, How do we make that easier. And some of the things we're, we're talking about uh, range all the way from how do we expand um, the definition of light sport aircraft, not so much from the weight aspect, but from a performance aspect and um, uh, what we like to call the risk continuum saying, okay, these are more risky operations. As you mentioned, the Lancer, okay, these are higher powered aircraft. They take a, another level of skill to fly them effectively and safely. Um, and putting that in instead of having a hard weight line that, okay, if you're you know, 2,300 pounds or 2,299, you're great. If you're 2,301, you're not great anymore. Okay, that seems so odd. Let's make it part of the performance, part of the risk continuum and putting that in. And FAA is looking at that rule package right now. Uh, those are some of the things. There are airport issues that we're dealing with, uh, medical issues. Um, I mentioned some of them right now. It's, there's a backlog of special issuances. How do we get through that? Uh, we're very happy that the new federal air surgeon is an EA member. And she and her husband are pilots, and they're involved. Uh, they have a T6, and they fly that. So they're very engaged in this general aviation community. They, they come to Oshkosh. So they know the things of which we speak. And to have her in charge as federal air surgeon to take a look at it, saying, what are these challenges? How can we do that? And that office has been very open to talking to us uh, about some of those challenges and how do we make it better for pilots out there by maintaining an equivalent level of safety. And if you talk to the FAA a lot, the ideas that we bring to them, they say, okay, how do we maintain the equivalent level of safety? Because at the end of the day, they're a political organization that you have Congress, that you have the administration, whoever is in the White House at the time. If they hear from the public, they're going to come to the FAA to demand a response. So how do we prevent that from happening by having that level of safety all the way across where we can say, this is safe. If you take a look at aviation compared to driving and motorcycles and boating and everything else, it's, it's a safe pursuit. Uh, most people don't fly though. So they don't understand that everybody drives, not everybody flies. I, I tell many times in the general public, okay, how many of you do a walk around of your car before you get in it? and check the fuel and everything else. Nobody. They hop in and they drive 60 miles an hour. And they say, okay, I have to go get a medical certificate every two years. 
in order to fly. Uh, I have to go through recurrent training every two years, do the flight review every two years. All right. We have air traffic control. We have radios. We're communicating with one another. We have ADSB. We have radar. We have all of these other things that keep track of each other in the air. I'm driving down a highway on the way home after I put the airplane in the hangar. I'm driving at 60 miles an hour, 100 kilometers an hour, whichever you like to use on a two-lane highway. And someone is coming at me who I've never met. I don't know their equipment. I don't know what state of mind they're in. They're coming at me at 100 kilometers an hour. That's a closing speed of 200 kilometers an hour. And we're going to pass within three feet of each other again and again and again and again. And I tell people, I said, that's not transportation. That's a stunt show. You know, and when you think about it, um, but in flying, you're worried about flying safety. You know, all of these things, people assume their own level of risk. And in driving, they don't think about it. In flying, they don't do it. So they wonder, how is that done? And we say, Flying is is quite safe with a well-kept airplane and well-kept skills by the pilot. It is a very safe pursuit. How do we maintain that? How do we continue to build on that? How do we get that message out? And that's part of what we do when we work with the FAA, with the NTSB, uh, with the state agencies and so forth, making sure that we can address what they need as far as political agencies to help them get things done. Well, ensuring the freedoms that we want and we have to continue moving forward. And, and that's where I'll reiterate that you don't have to be a pilot to be an EAA member. You guys are doing this with, with member funds and donations, and that's how you're, you're tackling some of these advocacy events, some of the, uh, the projects that, you're, that you're, you're, you've talked about over the last 30 minutes or so. And, and uh, it, it's just amazing that you guys are able to, do this. And I want to just reiterate to our listeners, go join EAA. It's not that expensive. Uh, and you don't have to be a pilot. E- even an aviation photographer would benefit from, from the safety and advances and, and, and efforts that EAA does for the aviation communities. So, um, and I, I, the, the website is easy. It's just EAA.org. <laughs> um, so you can go there and you can find all of the links. Um, and, and that's actually where I want to finish is, is one of the things that you guys are running, um, which, which listeners can go over to the, to the website. And I'm going to finish with the next generation of aviators, which, which is your scholarship program. Um, and I know that that, that is open right now, at least, uh, I'm looking at the flight training scholarships that go at least for another nine days, um, right. for people to go in and apply for, but what are some of the other scholarships that you guys are offering, um, for the next generation of aviators? Yeah, there, there are more than $200,000 worth of scholarships out there, uh, and people should go to our scholarship page, ea.org slash scholarships. Go there and find out because there are ones for flight training. There, there are ones for aircraft technicians, uh, and you're right about the crying need for aircraft technicians over the next decade to 15 years. Uh, you take a look at those, and one we're really proud of is the Ray Aviation Scholarship that works through our chapters. Uh, the Ray Aviation Foundation, the Ray Foundation, has donated $1.2 million per year to give as direct flight training stipends, I mean, up to $10,000 for kids to learn to fly. And uh, we've done it for two years now, handed out more than 100 scholarships each year. And the dropout rate for the average person going into flight training to get a private pilot certificate is 80%. Out of every 100, only 20 make it all the way through. We have flipped that. 
with the Ray Aviation Scholarship, having that, that backing, the financial backing, that more than 80% of those kids who have started have already either soloed or earned their certificate. And that was from the 2019 figures, 2020, they're still working through them, but those numbers are tracking the same. They work with EA chapters, the chapters are there to mentor them. And so chapters are designated to say, we have one of these scholarships, who's a young person in our community who could really use this to learn to fly, to follow their dreams and so forth. So that is out there for young people. But on top of that, you're right, we have flight training scholarships that will help out a little bit, aviation technician scholarships. Um, IAC, International Aerobatic Club, right now has uh, open scholarships for anybody, any pilot who wants to take aerobatic training and instructors for aerobatic training. They have scholarships for that. So that those resources are out there. We urge people to come to our website, take a look at them. Um, because, you know, we all want to get better. We all want to improve our skills. You know, time, money, and life sometimes gets in the way. Okay, we can take away one of those <laughs> hurdles, the money hurdle, and help people out with that. And so uh, we hope people apply for those, uh, get engaged with that, and we hope to see them have that opportunity. I'm so happy that we met in the parking lot because this is, this <laughs> is just a great way to feature EAA. Um, now, I do have a surprise question. This is, this is a curveball. Okay. We, we always ask, we finish the interviews with one question, which okay. is, now that I know you're an aviator, if you could fly any airplane in the world, this is unique for somebody who is part of EAA, uh, current, retired, future airplane, whether it's flying or not, if you could fly any airplane in the world, what aircraft would that be? Oh, boy. Um, P-38 Lightning. Right oh, away. Wow. I would, uh, we have one in the museum. It is my favorite World War II airplane uh, ever since I was a little kid. Uh, I just always loved the look of that airplane. And as I learned more about it, the speed, the maneuverability, everything else, the fact they had to put speed brakes on it to slow it down in a dive because the compressibility factor was so high, they couldn't get out of it. You know, and it's like, that would be fun. They haven't left the keys in the one in the museum. <laughs> and so I think they know I would like to fly that one. Um, but I think that would just be a gas. And um, that would be the one I would take out there and go beat up the air with. Well, if you ever get the chance to do that, I hope your media team is with you and gets to document it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll be hearing the big yippee as I go past very fast. So yeah, yeah. but that's the one that that is absolutely the one that I, I would pick out. Awesome. Dick, I want to thank you for coming on with us and, and lending us a little bit of your time. I know you're very busy, especially this close to Air Venture. Uh, thank you so much for being here with us. My pleasure. And I tell you what, hope to see you all out on the flight line at Oshkosh or tuning in on the website. Uh, let's make it a great reunion in 21 at Oshkosh. We'll be there. Thanks. All right. And I'll tell you what, it's so nice to have such an unusual aircraft as his favorite. So cool. Yeah. And I venture to say that we will see one at Air Venture. Uh, right. Because <laughs> almost everything shows up there. But hey, I want to reiterate, the, these people at EA are doing fantastic things for the entire aviation community. Go over to their website, check them out. Uh, if you feel like joining up and being part of their, uh, if nothing else, you get some pretty cool publications. Yeah. Um, but uh, but support the cause because they're doing great things out there for aviation. Indeed. But guys, we gotta we gotta skedaddle along, and uh, thankfully Jonathan Warner is back. We have one more military segment to do, 
and that is the caption this competition for this week. <laughs> so, Matt, do you have the picture? I do indeed. Now it's a it's a weird one. I think it's explain safe to say, this one. Explain I'm this picture. Explain Good luck explaining one. this. <laughs> so I won't tell you what kind of aircraft it is. I'll give you guys kudos points in the chat room if you can identify the platform. I think I'm going to exclude Micah because Micah could get this pretty quickly. <laughs> but I could only describe this as an innovative way to mount a oh how is to say human being to uh, to uh, <laughs> perhaps not to mount a human being how to mount a human being onto a hardpoint pylon. <laughs> uh, uh, so there hang, you go. Hang, hang on. I, I, I can't believe I'm about to do this on our own show, but for the first time in I don't know how long. Uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. <laughs> <laughs> it has been a long time since we said that. <laughs> um, let's see. How How is this individual mounted? Uh, he is, I would say, maybe duct tape to the <laughs> uh, to the hard point. Right. He has a weapon, a weapon of sorts sticking... Uh, well, towards the front of the aircraft. <laughs> um, uh, no, oh, no. The innuendo. <laughs> <laughs> Quite, absolutely. In your endo. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I, it begs a question, actually. It begs a question, Armando. Would this actually work? Oh, everything will work once. <laughs> yeah. just, right. just ask the first guy that had to strap on a parachute and say... All right, we're going to chuck you out of the airplane. This piece of cloth is going to pop open over your head, and you're just going to float down to the ground. Got it? Don't worry. We'll pay you extra. And now there's a whole industry surrounding it. So, yeah, there we go. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, there you go. So if you guys – I'm going to start off with this uh, with this caption contest. I think the first one that we got was from our friends over at Turning Left for Less, uh, which was – the latest government deterrent against people taking Amber List holidays. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Carlos, this oh, I, I love this one. I, I had to I had to WhatsApp Matt with this one because it made me laugh so much. But uh, this was uh, from Jake, and he said, "That's the last time we are buying our weapons from Wish." <laughs> Quite, <laughs> Matt. I'm going to give you this next one because you have to do it in the voice. And if you don't know what we're talking about, we'll chastise you. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, then just read it like a normal human being. Uh, you, you never leave your wingman, is what it says mm. out there. Yeah. From what? Top Gun. Oh, oh, oh no. Oh, oh you yeah. mean Top Gear, surely. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 Oh, dear. Uh, Q says, now pay attention, 007. We have installed some interesting modifications. No, oh. in Nev's voice. In Nev's voice, that is my personal favorite. Uh, let's see. Uh, Barry sends to us extreme water pistol fight. Right. Okay. I mean, definitely. <laughs> uh, David says the name's Bond, James Bond. <laughs> and Matt, why don't you check us out with the last one? Uh, yeah, Ray, Ray says uh, basically, uh, which I, th- I think is a, a theme for for everything now. It's just basically budget cutbacks. That's that's what that is, you know. Indeed. Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I just saw Masha, Masha's in the in the chat room. Too close for missiles. I'm switching to guns. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Oh man, yeah, I like that. Well that's well quite done. good. Yeah, that's quite good. Oh dear. What else have we got? Dirk, Dirk S is saying Operation Human Missile. Yeah, that's oh, appropriate. Alan yeah. White. Uh, he said he forgot to write it on Facebook. He says the Irish Air Corps are ready for their next sightseeing C-17 crew. 
Oh, too soon? Too soon. Right? <laughs> hey, he was just trying to see his hometown. <laughs> I mean, wow, okay. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but don't forget... Oh, uh, Miles My- High is saying Mission Improbable. Mission Improbable, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like that. Don't forget, so if you... If you want to make a comment on... If you want to make a comment on our Caption This Pictures, don't forget to check out our Facebook every Wednesday when me put the picture on there and you can comment on it. That is the best English I think I've ever heard. More wine, please. More wine, please, Vicar. Oh... Oh, is this so? so uh, Michael was just saying, is that is that a Beretta? I think was what the, the, uh, Jonathan Waters saying the evolution of manned gun positions. <laughs> I like quite, I like that one. I quite like that one. There's some good ones this week. Well yeah, done, everyone. Absolutely, well done, Thank everyone. You for that. Yeah. Definitely. So moving on to the next, we're scooting through here because we're, we're running over time as usual, yes. and uh, we're going to go for some list of feedback from a few weeks ago. This is from this feedback we had. Uh, this one is um, the subject on this is actually beer, which is also always I've heard good. Of that. And uh, this one comes to us from Jacob Darlington Brown. And uh, he's uh, saying about, because we were talking, I think we were talking on the show um, about the the beers and stuff. Right. um, And stuff on the show. And uh, Jacob Darlington Brown sent a picture of. Hang on, I'm trying to find it. I'm trying to find it. Keep keep waffling. I'll keep waffling. (laughs) Jacob Darlington Brown sent in a picture of a, a, a particular beer that we actually. Do get here, obviously in the UK. Right. But I'm actually quite surprised that Jacob Darlington Brown has got a bottle of this, okay. uh, considering where he comes from. But this is a bottle of uh, Matt's favourite beer from a, a manufacturer that you love to say. Yes, and it's not appearing in the folder because I was hoping to pop it up, but uh, there we go. It's typically yeah. Oh no, sorry. Hold, hold, hold on. on. He says he said keep waffling, Carl. Off we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do. I'll, actually, there is there is some. Here we go. It's in okay. the folder. It's in the okay. folder. Don't panic. Is it? No, it's not. It's actually it's actually one of those beers that I quite there like we go. as well. Yeah, it. And um, it's Matt's favourite ale. It really isn't worth. Here we go. This really wasn't worth it, was it? <laughs> it's a bombardier. Yeah. It's a lovely British ale. Quite a strong ale. That one. It's it quite is, nice. Yeah. Bombardier. 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 Are we supposed to say it slightly differently? Bombardier. Yeah, absolutely. Bombardier. But, uh, there we go. I prefer my version. Yeah, that was clearly worth it. And uh, <laughs> we also had some feedback from Jacob Darlington Brown as well. And yes. actually, this is really good. This is uh, about a question that we had on the show, actually, and some feedback we had in. And uh, he says, uh, hello, PTUK people. This is a rare occasion, but I can actually provide some relevant and timely feedback to Nick Codling's feedback about the Virgin Australia ATR 42s. You remember Nick sent in the feedback mm. uh, with the uh, picture, Flight Radar 24 picture he had yep. of the aircraft flying over him. Episode 367. That's it. Interested. Uh, yep. So he said, well, although the UK Virgin was an original investor in Virgin Australia, originally Virgin Blue, they have long since been involved and in their final form before Virgin Australia went into administration in mid 2020, the name Virgin in Virgin Australia. Australia was purely a brand name and had no business or controlling connection to Virgin UK. The company Virgin Australia actually paid royalties to Sir Richard Branson to use the Virgin name. And that's as far as the connection goes. So what was the Virgin Australia ATR 42 doing over the UK? Well then, Virgin Australia came out of administration in late 2020. They completed, uh, or completely dropped their regional side of the airline, uh, Virgin Australia Regional Airlines, who until 2011 were originally called Sky West Airlines, which flew ATR 42s and ATR 72s 
and handle, uh, handled uh, or handed all their ACRs back to the leasing companies. And he says, I suspect the Virgin Australia branded ATR that Nick saw was simply on its way uh, to its new owner, which could possibly be Flybe, but oh. would have nothing to do with Virgin UK shifting assets to the UK as Virgin UK had no assets to shift as they didn't own or control anything in Virgin Australia. He says, hope that helps. Happy uh, flighting, Jacob Darlington Brown. So thank cool. you for thanks. that, Jacob. Thanks, Jacob. Great email, actually. Yeah, do. Uh, and if you'd like to get in touch with the show and you uh, perhaps want to comment on one of the stories that we featured this week, for example, then you can do that very easily by going to our website and filling in the contact form on there. It's www.plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, you can send it directly to me here in the studio using our WhatsApp number. That's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. Uh, you can send us an email directly, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com, or you can use our social media you can send us a fake book face a fake book no a, fake a book. facebook message directly uh from within messenger uh or you can send us a dm via twitter uh or anything like that and you all you need to do is search our social media for plain talking uk that's plain talking uk all as one word nev we have got just a little bit of quick uh, news about a certain uh, air show haven't we for the week ahead Yes, uh, this is <clears throat> quite interesting. The Armchair, Armchair Air Show is a free-to-view, live-streamed air show that you can watch from the comfort of your armchair. Uh, they'll bring you the thrill and excitement of air shows to your living room with exclusive interviews which have never been seen before and previews of the upcoming air show season. Uh, air display legends such as Mike Ling, George Bacon and John Windover will be running the show from their set at London's Biggin Hill Airport with more aircraft and pilots lining up to get involved. So this is tomorrow on the 29th of May from 2 o'clock in the afternoon, British standards, British uh, summertime, and you can take to the skies from the seat of your armchair. Uh, the free-to-view event is on armchairairshow.com, which you can pick up on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, Aerobility changes lives by providing anyone with any disability with access to aviation. And they do this because it drives a focus on capabilities and it encourages uh, the student to ask, if I can fly an aeroplane, what else can I do? Now, if you remember, uh, Matt interviewed aeroability themselves before at Biggin Hill when we were down there doing the air show, mm. uh, which we played out on episode 323. And, of course, if you haven't seen our episode with Mike Ling, you can check out last week's episode, which was episode 368. And don't forget to look out for the George Lee play playlist as well which is also available on our youtube channel so that's some uh, fantastic stuff coming up tomorrow indeed indeed and all fingers being crossed and lots of wood being touched for good luck hopefully me and nev will be hopefully jetting off to malta in uh, september for the air show this year which has had another act set for the lineup uh, this for this year's show which is the Belgium F16s which are going to be there doing a display and also on static as well Nev so that will be good yeah, absolutely that. yeah exciting so that is where we are going to bring episode number 369 to a close of the show a massive thanks to everyone in the chat room for joining us this evening big thanks to you all and not forgetting as well everyone who downloads the show as an audio podcast thank you uh, thank you to all you guys and girls as well uh, for your support and don't forget if you do download the show as an audio show and you have got a spare few minutes just give us a rating on iTunes we'd love that a five star rating or wherever you download your podcast from so big thanks to to Matt for 
sitting beside me here and doing all the uh, all the tough work tonight, pushing buttons and siders and faders and stuff. So well done to you, Matt. Thanks to Nev for being awesome as always in his uh, in his uh, studio there, and also a big thanks as well to Armando for his awesome interviews this week on the show and uh, all his uh, support as well with the show. And not forgetting as well, uh, big thanks as well to John who does all our hard work in the background putting all the show notes together every week for the show so big thanks to you as well john so that's it guys and girls take care everyone from me carlos here in the ptuk master suite studios from matt sitting here next to me in the ptuk master suite studios very weird from nev in his glorious buckinghamshire studio and from armando in his palatial hotel suite uh, (laughs) studio take care everyone have a great weekend and see you all next friday goodbye everyone Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.